podcast for the week of Friday, August 6th. And Tony just told me the date, and I still kind of forgot. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm Sarah. I'm here with Tony, the editor-in-chief of ComicVine.com. Hi, everyone. Corey's back. What is up, not here, but we have somebody much cooler than Norm on the line to <laughs> talk to us today. We have Mr. Scott Snyder, the man responsible for Gates of Gotham. What else? Swamp Thing. He's writing all the Batman, Batman books. Detective. Holy crap. American Vampire. Wow, you just I write know, everything. And an American Vampire yeah. as well, which you also, also did. Yes. Also are doing. Hey, so here's my theory, Scott. Um, so you used to be on Detective Comics, as everyone knows, and now you're on Batman. Did they move you to Batman because that's going to be like the premier title, and because you're so awesome? They is that any? Yes, there was. They had a meeting actually, and they brought me in, and they were like, "We've decided that you're awesome, and we <laughs> would like to move you to Batman." They, they should just so, they should just retitle it Scott Snyder's Batman. Yeah, well, that's the way it's going to look. I, I demanded that in my contract that not only do I only get the green M and M's, but Batman must be smaller than Scott Snyder on the title. Ten percent larger, like Shatner's in the old uh, Star Trek credits. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's me and Batman vying our egos. No, but the the way it happened was that um, about six months ago, I pitched Mike Martz this big Bruce Wayne story. Uh, it, was sort of, you know, it, it stemmed from some of the stuff we were exploring in Gates of Gotham that I've always been interested in, obviously, like the history of Gotham and the sort of um, the enemies that might have existed in the past to the Wayne family and the and the, the Drake family and the Grayson family even. Um, and so I, I pitched this story to him and he told me that they were thinking about moving Batman, uh, Bruce back to Batman and, um, you know, would I be interested in switching over? So I said, you know, I talked to Tony. So I went and talked to Tony Daniel and he... <laughs> told me that he was very interested in getting on a darker title like detective. So we said, we just switch. And then they came at us with this, the idea of the relaunch and everything was going to be number one. And both of us were freaking out. Like <laughs> I'm going to be on Batman number one, my God. And he's on detective. So, so um, the point is just that the stories that we're telling uh, the story that I'll just speak for myself, like the story that I'm telling in Batman is the story that I've been dying to tell for Bruce for, for a long time before the relaunch. And the good thing about the relaunch, I mean, I know it's a little difficult to sort of, um, to categorize and to say, well, everything's new, you know, everything's new and shiny because it's not, or to say everything's the same because it's not. <laughs> so the, the best way I can think about it or the best way I can kind of articulate it to fans, and I know there's a lot of sort of excitement and nervousness, is to say what DC really did was to tell us, uh, the people that I know, and I can't speak for everybody, but my friends like Jeff Lemire and, you know, Pete Tomasi and Josh Fialkoff and the guys I know and, and Brian Azzarello, for example, on Wonder Woman, was to say what are the stories that you want to tell about your favorite characters? And if you had carte blanche, like if you could do anything, even reboot the character, what do you think would be the absolute best Batman story? And, um, you know, that, that's really the way we're approaching Batman now is that this is the Bruce story that I've been dying to do for a long time. It's big and ambitious and kind of, and you know, it'll have big game changing revelations about the Wayne family and its relationship to Gotham and the, the Grayson family too. Uh, and, you know, other other kind of key allies. But the the relaunch for us and the way the reason that we're so excited about it, I mean, the creators, at least that I'm friendly with is because DC was bold enough to give us the chance to take our favorite characters and do any story we wanted so long as we could, you know, argue that why this would be the best story possible for that character as fans of the character. So with the Bat You all of us got together, talked at least on the phone, me and Pete Tomasi and Gail Simone and Tony Daniel. And we emailed with Grant and we talked about the possibility of uh, 
you know, changing certain things, maybe changing Two-Face, changing uh, Jason Todd, or changing... And what we realized was the stories that, that we were excited to tell with the characters as they stood were better than the ones that we would generate by changing anything. So it really became sort of this notion that right now the bat world is an incredibly vibrant place. It's a really exciting time in Batman. So we decided that we'd keep things the way they work for the most part. So there really isn't a lot changed. It is the same Bruce, all the things that you love, no man's land from year one, basically to, to return to Bruce Wayne, all that stuff stands. So, you know, that's, that's, that's how I wound up on Batman and that's our approach to Batman at this point. Uh, so, so Scott, there. I actually have uh, two two things that deal with uh, what you just said. The first being uh, when you when you and Tony Daniel spoke about uh, switching titles. You know, you taking on the responsibility of Batman and he switching over to Detective. How much does the title itself actually affect how dark uh, the story will be? You know, I because I, I yeah. feel like you can you can write a dark story if you want to write a dark story. I, I don't really understand how detective would somehow make it <laughs> darker do you, do you yeah yeah no i do i mean i think that each one highlights a, a facet of, of batman whether it's bruce or dick's personality i mean or, or, or skill set as batman so detective for me is supposed to be the place where you just see that he's the greatest detective in the world so mm-hmm. it has it, it should have a kind of csi feel you know and 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 be mystery oriented so it wasn't so much the the level of darkness or or um you know, depravity that we were going to bring to the book so much is that for me, the way I approach a character is to think about, and I tell my students this, you know, things is you have to figure out if you're writing a licensed character, like, like Bruce or Dick or any of them, what is genuinely the most exciting aspect of that character to you? Mm-hmm. And for me, what do you think is their greatest strength? And for me, Dick Grayson's greatest strength and the thing I love the most about him is his empathy and his compassion and his sense of humanity, his faith in humanity, his He's so different from Bruce and sort of his optimism and his social aptitude, his, his, he's depends and relies on his friends. You know, he's a whole network, all of that kind of stuff. So what I wanted to do was do a story that, that, you know, really sort of foregrounded this notion that Gotham, when it faces an enemy, you know, a hero, really, what it does is it takes your strength and it kind of tries to convince you that that strength is a weakness. And it's done that with Bruce over the years and generated all of these villains that represent sort of extensions of Bruce's psychology, you know, so that Bruce is sort of obsessive and, and, and compul- you know, obsessive nature when it comes to being the best, it, to me is exemplified in the Joker that if he falls entirely into being Batman and gives up the identity of Bruce Wayne and breaks his sort of rules that keep him tethered to humanity, he'll become somebody crazy like the Joker entirely. Mm-hmm. And the Two-Face is kind of an extension of his duality. But what we wanted to do with Dick was... To break a character who's so upbeat and optimistic, we wanted to show him how ugly humanity could be, criminals could be, the city itself could be. Mm-hmm. So that that's really what dictated the level of darkness with that story, you know, and with James Jr. being a mirror to him so that as compassionate as Dick is, we wanted James Jr. to be somebody who's genetically almost born without a sense of empathy or compassion. So he, he would be sort of a twisted reflection. So with Batman, we're dealing with a different set of, of circumstances with Bruce, you know, Bruce really is a character who wouldn't be scared by the same things that Dick would uh, be scared by, you know? And so what we're doing on, on Batman is um, it's really a story about uh, Bruce Wayne 
coming back to Gotham after the events of Inc., you don't have to have read Inc. at all. Um, I made this joke on Twitter the other day where somebody was like, do I have to have read Gates of Gotham and all this stuff to understand Batman? And I was like, no, you just have to have read every issue of American Vampire. <laughs> and they all freaked out. They're like, really, really? I'm like, no, no, no. Anyway, <laughs> you don't have to have read anything to enjoy Batman, I promise. But there's tons of Easter eggs and references for a Bat fan in general. But the story that we want to tell is really about Bruce being back in Gotham after the events of Inc. And he's more confident than ever. He's reinvesting in Gotham as Batman. It's a back-to-basics approach where we haven't seen Bruce in Gotham in a very long time, honestly, you know, in a big marquee way. Mm-hmm. So we're celebrating that in this series where you'll see the Batcave, the Manor, the Rogues Gallery, and Dick and Tim and Damien all at once. And Cassie. The- and yeah, well, Cassie, Cassie's in the works, I promise. She's, she's there. I really, I want to read Cass very badly. I love writing her. But the. What, the about, idea, what, what about Ace? Ace, Ace I know. Ace, Ace is a. Somebody actually, there is an Ace. I can't remember what it's. Is it in. Um, you will see Ace, but right. I promise. I can't remember which bat title he's in. And he's renamed. I think he's renamed Tit- like Titus. I can't. He's coming. The bad dog. Batman <laughs> is like one of my favorites. Like it'd be like an Ibo, like sort of like how Jarvis was a computer in the Iron Man movie. <laughs> no, like he's, a- he's still a big black Great Dane. He's still that. But anyway, um. the the idea with it is that Bruce considers Gotham his home, and he considers it almost his best friend in a lot of ways. You know, it's given him the enemies he wants. He's in control of it. It's the city of the bat, and that's announced in like issue one. And then what I was thinking about was that Gotham, though, is a city that's three to four hundred years old. So no matter how long Bruce has been Batman, whether it's kind of five years, you know, with the relaunch or publicly, I mean, or he's been Batman for 75 years, Mm -hmm. the city is a lot older than him. And what belonged historically to a rival symbol and to an organization that hates the Waynes, something ancient and evil that sort of uh, has been there right beneath Bruce's feet, almost like a sinkhole the whole time he's been in Gotham. So for me, that's what's really scary to Bruce is to have something that he actually investigated this kind of this this kind of you know um this kind of this evil that's mentioned in like Gotham nursery rhymes and stuff like that and you know this kind of folklore that he looked into in his very first years as Batman before he even had a costume and you'll see this in flashback um and found nothing and so the idea that it could actually exist that he would miss something that big history of his own city that ties into the history of his family and the families of his allies is something that would be really sort of foundation shaking wow. for me in terms of Bruce. So that's really what we're trying to do in the story. It's really about Gotham almost turning this big kind of stony eye towards Bruce and saying, I just wasn't paying attention to you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You're not, your whole world is a tiny blip on the screen of the history of, of the city. And now I'm going to bring the weight of history against you, bring it to bear to crush you at the Bat family. And there will be like some big game changing revelations about the Waynes and the, the Graysons and, and new villains and stuff like that. So it really is like the story. If I could only tell one Bruce story ever, it would be this. So I'm very, very excited about it. I, I focus on it when I think about all the ner- you know, the anxiety I have about it being number one and all those kinds of things. I just think, this is the story I was going to tell. If there wasn't a relaunch, it's the story I would tell. If there was a relaunch, it's, you know, if I could never tell another Bat story, it would be this one. And Greg Capullo, his art on this thing is just kicking ass. He's so, he's so amazing. And I'm so happy to be working with him in the way that we wanted the book to, the way tech really looked kind of tribal and scratchy and, you know, kinetic and menacing in this way that wasn't sort of superhero. We really wanted this book to look larger than life and and um dynamic and superhero-ish at first so that you feel batman at home you know what i mean batman is drawn in a way where he's just completely tough 
you can't mess with him. He's classic Bruce, classic Batman. And then slowly as this kind of set of murders begins to reveal this conspiracy that might or might not exist, um, you know, the art gets darker and creepier and Greg is just amazing with that because of all his work on Spawn and Creech and all and Haunt and all that stuff. So mm-hmm. we're super excited. That's what we have planned. It's a big 11 issue story. Um, it's going to really, you know, become a kind of war for Gotham soul that will bleed into other books. And, uh, it's sort of designed almost like a hush or a long Halloween format where it's going to be, every issue will be accessible, but they will be cumulative. So it'll really be one big story. Yeah, you can't see me, but I am so excited right now. This sounds so awesome. But thanks, I'm really excited. You like oh, it? You like oh it? Oh my gosh, I can't wait. September can't come soon enough. Um, the I had one comment to to make about uh, what you said about Nightwing, and this is mm-hmm. strictly my opinion. I did not like Nightwing when he came into Batman. As you, Tony, no, you hated. I hated it. I thought it was the worst idea. I was completely against it because I thought. This guy is too compassionate. He's too nice. He's smiling all the time. And the the interesting thing about what you did with the character, Scott, and I'm going to totally – I'm going to gush a little bit, is is um, you turned – everyone else wrote it as as a weakness. Dick's compassion was a weakness, I think, until you got to him – and you 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 wrote it in a way that you know this is his strength this is who he is and he sort of came into the role of batman in your books i think more than you know the other ones yeah no definitely and well, and thanks. i that means a lot to hear i mean that that was the idea was to have it be something that gotham is trying to convince him it's a weakness but mm-hmm. it is the strength that saves him and makes him a very good hero you know so that's what we were trying to sort of play as the main theme that you, you would think he'll never survive Gotham because he's weak. And that's what James says. He says it's the greatest weakness of humanity is empathy and compassion. Mm-hmm. And um, instead, Dick proves that it's the strength, that it's the asset that allows him to beat somebody like James Jr. and win in Gotham. Yeah, it was very, it's very, very cool. Speaking, of, speaking of James Jr., um, where did the idea come to create him into this ultimate villain psychopath I mean, did you just decide "Eh, i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna just make things worse for commissioner gordon (laughs) i know jim gordon cannot catch a break can he he's like the unluckiest dude in all of comics he's just like he's always in that rumpled trench coat (laughs) just like beating up on in the rain he's always in the rain it sucks to be jim anyway um except he has babs but anyway the except when jim lee draws him and he's got like a six pack (laughs) i know right i know right or in arkham asylum the game have you seen that thing he's like ripped he's like huge i'm like jesus jim um no the idea the idea for james jr what happened was I had been thinking once I started writing um, American Vampire and they, I started hearing that they might be interested in me doing superhero comics. I was trying to figure out where I would fit best. And um, what happened was at, at C2E2 last year, not this one, but you know, a year ago, March um, of 2010, uh, Dan DiDio and Jeff Johns said that they wanted to meet with me and asked me if there were things I wanted to do in the DCU. And there were just a couple issues of American Vampire in the can. And I was super nervous. I was like, terrified and uh i was saying this but i don't know if you remember if any of you were there were you guys there at that c2e2 yeah we were there last not this year yeah we were both years ago. yeah yep. mm-hmm. do you remember that crazy kitchen convention they were having all yeah, the, yeah. Where there was like interpretive dance about like sinks and crazy <laughs> shit going on around the corner yeah yeah 
anyway, like I was so nervous that I was like, I have to have a drink before I meet with these guys. And there was no, no beer, alcohol in the whole convention center. So somebody was like, Oh yeah, there's a bar in that thing. You should go to that kitchen thing. So I like ran into this <laughs> kitchen thing and it was a decorative bar. And I was like, thanks, you know, thanks asshole. It was like, <laughs> and I can buy the bar without the. <laughs> but anyway, like I was like, you know what? I'm just, I'm so nervous. I'm just going to take one of these bottles of wine. Cause there's a wine, wine bottle of wine, like every counter to display the counter. You took the whole bottle. <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to take a bottle of this wine. I don't even care. I'm going to go back. To, I'm going to like go into the men's room, open this wine and have <laughs> And I like had my hand on the bottle of wine. This image occurred to me of like getting arrested on the way out, and, and Jim and Dan like passing me by, you know, J- uh, Jeff and Dan, and being like, "No, no, I have a meeting. I have a meeting with them." You know, as I'm being like dragged. <laughs> so I did not do it, and luckily they came by two seconds later, so I would have looked like a fool. But the um, well, I met with them there, or I would have looked awesome. I I, I, w- I was gonna go with that. <laughs> well, I met with them there. And they asked me if I had any ideas like for things in the DCU. And I said that I really had always loved Jim Gordon. And I knew that I didn't think I could get, you know, the character of Batman at all in any capacity. So I was like, I'd love to do a series about Jim Gordon. And I'd really love it to be about his cold cases. Like, I'd love it to be Jim Gordon solves cases. He's so obsessed the way Batman is that he solves cases in his spare time. And these are the cases that have haunted him over the years that he never solved. Uh, and the spine of the series would be him solving the case of his own son, James Jr., who's like an enigma to him, you know, from the start. So that was what I pitched for the backup of Detective. And they really liked it. Um, and they took me on. Uh, and I started playing with that idea of, you know, the way that James Jr. occurred to me was I, that the Jim Gordon stuff, you know, and they were joking with me. They were like, you know, you, you think you can make it exciting enough? Like what would be on the cover? And I'm like, well, it would be Jim Gordon in bifocals reading dusty files. What do you think? You know, <laughs> Actually, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was like, you know, splash, you know, and he's like, he's sitting in a rocking chair <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but they, uh, they went for it. And, um, you know, the idea for James Jr. though came out of, it started with that idea when I said, I want to use Jim. And I was thinking, Jim's a character. He's been in, why does he stay in Gotham? What's his, what's his attachment? And I kept thinking, well, Gotham makes him a better hero. How does it do that? It challenges him, you know, by going for his jugular all the time. And a character like him, him or Bruce, here Bruce, who is so obsessive really about, um, about this notion of, uh, you know, of, of work versus home life and personal life. I feel like, it would go for you in a way where it would attack the things that you treasure about your own personality. So for Dick, for, uh, sorry, for Jim, he's one of the greatest detectives, the same way Bruce is, you know? And so he's about adding up empirical evidence and finding an answer. So I thought, well, why not use something that's emotionally attached to him? So his son, cause I'd always love year one. I've always wondered what happened to James. And I was like, you know, if he hasn't been around, it's stupid to introduce him and just have it be like, Oh yeah, I didn't see you since last month, even though we haven't seen him ever. So it's like, maybe there's like a reason he hasn't been around. And then all of it, it just clicked. I was like, well, he'll be the mirror image of he'll be James, Jim's worst nightmare. He'll be the thing that doesn't add up. Like the pieces don't come together. You know what I mean? Why is he the way he is? Jim struggles with that all the time. Is it my fault? I neglected him. Is it because he hit his head on the way down from the bridge? Is it because he was born that way? You'll never know. And that mystery and the fact that he doesn't add up in terms of the causality of his, uh, the cause of his, you know, um, sort of sociopathy or psychopathy is something that Jim struggles with all the time and is vulnerable to. So that just clicked at that point, And I knew that that was the character. And then when they, 
that was in March. And then in May, they called me into the office and they were like, listen, I don't even know who was on Detective, that the feature. I had no idea who was supposed to be on it. They were like, whoever was on the feature, um, you know, it opened up. So if you want to do a year on Detective, you can have the backup and the feature. And I was like, done, sold in a second. You know, I'm, I was extremely nervous, but I knew that I really believed in this idea of the Black Mirror for Jim. And I knew I could extend it to Dick Grayson and, and really make something that would be coherent. So that's that's really how James Jr. came about and the entire run really on tech. And it's absolutely brilliant. Mm-hmm. I mean, and like you said, with James Jr., I I just thought he died or I mean, it's like I, I forgot all about him. And then he comes back. I was like, oh, yeah. It's like, where's he been all this time? And mm-hmm. it's just. And he's interesting. Like yeah. he's he's scarier than the Joker, I think. Thanks. I really. Well, I, 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 I think yeah. so. I mean, I, I don't think that I feel like the Joker is sort of non-threatening. It, like, uh, I love Grant Morrison, but a lot like his Joker is just kind of incoherent. Like you, <laughs> yeah. you just you, you don't really like as a reader. I go into it. I'm like, this is really interesting. It's very exciting. But I kind of don't understand the Joker. I don't feel like yeah. the Joker is threatening me. Right. Like he's threatening like, yeah. Batman in the world that Batman lives in. But yeah, and I think I feel like Heath Ledger honestly was the Joker that I was afraid of. Yeah, but <laughs> I, I think the thing the thing about the the Joker now, I guess the way he's written now is that he's so he's so consumed by Bruce and and Batman that he can't see anything else. Mm-hmm. So yeah. so he's only threatening to Batman, but with with uh, Gordon Jr. You have this. You know, he's a, just a, he a complete sociopath. <laughs> like he just takes complete pleasure in everybody else's pain, and I think that that's that that's the kind of villain that Batman needs. Mm-hmm. And Thanks. I think I think it's it's like Joker really doesn't cool. care who he's hurt, who he hurts in his pursuit of Batman, but James Gordon Jr. doesn't care who he hurts in his everyday life. Right? Yeah, that's well, that yeah, that's that's a really good way of putting it, both you guys. And that's a very interesting thought about the Joker, uh, Sarah. I was. I was wondering, I mean, one of the things I'm interested in, honestly, and this is total spoiler alert or whatever, is like the um, doing something with the Joker in not the, the distant future, in the near, in the relatively near future that has him almost saying what you said and being like, you know what, I've played this game with you for too long, you know, and I'm tired of, of I'm tired of it. I'm going to change the rules mm-hmm. and I'm going to show you how scary I really am. You know, so there's a story in there that I'm very excited to do. Yeah, no, that's it's almost very like, cool. Yeah, it's going to be cool. I think it's going to be really cool. Almost like a Joker, a Joker story that's really about because what we tried to do on tech with him, I started writing him and I was like, you know what? I want to put him like with none of the trappings of himself, not the suit, not the face. You can't see his face. You can't see his suit. He's in a mask and a straight jacket and then show how scary he can be in concept, you know, mm-hmm. that he that he he sees the things that are your biggest weaknesses and exploits them for humor in your face and then kills you. You know what I mean? Mm. So that level of sadism is something I wanted to play up with, without the trimmings and the semantics of who the Joker is. So he kills a bunch of people and they're literally without lifting a finger. Right. Well, that's, that's, that was the idea was we want to make a very scary Joker. So I'm interested in the idea of, of, of re, um, not not reimagining him at all or not not rebooting him in any way so it has nothing to do with changing who he is it has to do with him deciding that he's he's not a member of the rogues gallery anymore like he's sort of like you just lump me in you know what i mean but i deserve better than that 
Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to prove it to you right now. You know, you're going to have like the worst, the, the worst time of your life right about now. I'm going to give like a, a killing joke moment to everybody, you know, you know what I mean? And just be like, yeah, so we're going to, I, I mean, it, it's not, it's very, 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 very um, nascent, but there's something we're very excited to do something down the line with Joker. That's, uh, that's definitely like shaping up to be something big and fun. Speaking of killing joke. So James Jr. made that comment. In, in the last detective mm-hmm. did yeah. you did you ever um consider like that he was being serious if that really was the case or oh man that that thing it got me <laughs> it really got me i was like no way oh my god it's good yeah i never wanted it to be truth i considered it, it being more plausible like him not telling her he's joking or saying you'll never know if i'm joking or not uh-huh. you know mm-hmm. um but then i thought i'm so fond of that like the killing joke is such a seminal book for me personally. Um, even though I, the, I, st- I wouldn't like it except that the Joker says, I can't really remember if this is true about my past, you know, cause I hate the idea of the Joker having a, a known past the same way. I really don't like the idea of Joe chill. Honestly, I'm not a fan of that. And I'm, I'm, I'm leaning towards, you know, trying to push it more towards Bruce never caught the person that killed his parents and he never will like that, 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 Somehow it's almost like Gotham took them, you know, rather than who Joe Chill is. What do you guys think of that? That would make more sense. Well, here, here's here's my idea. Something else that you, I've been planning. Tony, Tony on... also writes Batman. <laughs> yeah, I write my my daily articles, and a lot of them tend to focus around Batman. So it's like I have to um, spread them out. You think about it a lot. So, and I, I will write about this um, someday. But I'm wondering the the whole when, when this killer, whether it was Joe Chill or not, killed Bruce's parents. Why would he? allow young Bruce to live. And, you know, the idea is, okay, I'm a killer. I'm not going to, but this is a kid. I'm not going to kill him. But the fact is he, he shot this couple over pearl necklaces or whatever. So I I was always wondering, like, and I, this might've been touched on before is like, you know, was there some other reason? And, you know, we, we saw in, in, um, Batman road home where, you know, was, you know, Thomas Wayne, supposedly, you know, Dr. Hurt involved with this, but I just thought it was odd that this kid was allowed to live. Like that there is like some hidden, reason that for that yeah no i know what you mean i mean there's a strange kind of there's a strange uh logic to that i i i for me it's just that i don't think any there's very you don't gain anything by having him be identified and having him be a nobody um i mean maybe if he's just so anonymous as a nobody as joe chill it would work but i just like the idea of that being something that bruce could never solve you know and never will I don't like the idea of it being like a penultimate mystery that he'll eventually solve. I mean, maybe when he's like 90 and he's about to die, but the, I'm not, you know, I'm not interested in doing an event where it's like, Oh, and who killed his parents? That's not, I just think it's more powerful to me that he's this detective that revisits this wound over and over and over again every night. If it's that it was the one case he could never solve, you know? I think it would make more sense that he, um, he doesn't know who, who did it. And it's, it's the one crime he can't solve. Because yeah. I feel like that's that will be his constant motivation every day for for being Batman, and that, I, that's that's I agree with you 100. percent That's that's something I'm going to seed into Batman honestly if I can. If they'll let me do it, I would like to make that the status quo. Just because I don't think with the relaunch there's nothing changed in Batman, but that would actually be like one of the bigger the, the only change I can think of if I can if I can do it. 
And it's not because like, I want to just shake up Batman. I just think it makes more sense, you know, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways that, and there's something more haunting about the idea of that being the one case he could never, he never solved because he was a kid. You know? yeah. mm-hmm. I, I just, I just think it's weird. A killer would let a kid go who could potentially identify him. Yeah. Identify him. If you're going to kill the whole, both parents in front of him, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. cruel. And Joe chill. I'm sorry. I mean, that, that's like Joe cool. You know, <laughs> Snoopy's alter ego. Kind of you catch him and he's actually Snoopy. Yeah. There you go. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. He catches him and it's like, James Jr. Um, is he ever going to get a, a code name you think, or is he just James? No, Jr.? no, 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 no. I, that was one thing I actually like was when I, when I brought him back, I like, I actually, I'll, maybe I'll include this, but I wrote this like quick memo to them. It was like, you may, ne- I, w- I would like to do this. Like, you know, I'm very excited about this. You have to promise me one thing, which is that you will never turn him into a supervillain, like ever. You know, that he always has to be, to me, there's so much potential in him. And I'll tell you the truth. Again, this is Comic Vine, because you're Comic Vine. <laughs> um, but we have plans for him. Me and Gail Simone have been talking a lot about the possibility of using him as a foil to characters like Dick and Barbara down the line as a kind of Hannibal Lecter figure and stuff like that to, to some of the characters that he, you know, is integral to uh, in terms of, you know, growing up in Gotham. So to me, that's the potential in the character is these, everybody but Bruce is a character that solves crimes in Gotham out of a sense of, um, duty and compassion and empathy. I, I really feel like Bruce does it. He has those things, but he does it more out of a sense of obsession and a kind of pathological, you know, um, determination. Uh, and for them, they don't have the perspective that, that James can offer, which is the perspective of somebody that has absolutely no human emotion in that regard. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? That can look at it from the point of view of a psychopath and say, you know, this is why that would happen. So there's something there for me in a big way that I'd really like to, you know, develop down the line. And I know other writers are interested in that too. And I can't say enough good things, by the way, about Gail Simone and what she has planned in Batgirl. It's great. Okay. Um, I actually have a real quick question, and this is just something I kind of dropped it casually earlier in the conversation, but now that you're sort of talking about Gotham-like, taking people so to speak and i know you're speaking obviously somewhat metaphorically but are you a fan at all of uh, of hp lovecraft yeah i am i well i went to school in providence oh there his, you go it's <laughs> yeah, like right there um so yeah like uh, this sounds very like shadow over innsmouthy what you're describing mm, with, yeah. with gotham love- I, I absolutely love the direction that you seem to be going with this thanks i mean you won't see any kind of slithering slimy like, or red-eyed <laughs> monsters, but at the same time, that sense of gothic horror is something that I really feel like is part and parcel of Gotham. You know, and it's that, like this incomprehensible evil. It's like this evil that you're not meant to see or understand. Yeah, and there's literally stuff built into the architecture of Gotham in our series, and we've tried to actually hint at it in Detective and Gates as well. So you'll see things. There are clues that go all the way back that far. Um, as to the kind of evil that Bruce is going to face. Is it supernatural? No, I'm not really interested in like supernatural, you know, villains and stuff like that so much. Does it push the boundaries of reality? Yeah. Def- I mean, there's, there's definitely the pseudoscience and stuff like that. But um, in terms of, you know, like, like real supernatural, supernatural, it's not that I don't want to give people the wrong idea that the city is literally a monster, but figuratively speaking, I think Gotham is a place that's cursed and haunted and, you know, puts every hero through a trial by fire. So for us, this really is a Bruce's trial by fire. It's sort of 
Bruce realizing that, you know, if there was a tagline for it, it would almost be like Bruce doesn't know Gotham. You know what I mean? Which is shocking because you think nobody knows Gotham better than Bruce. Mm-hmm. All right, here, here's a Gotham question. Um, do you know anything about um, Gotham Village? What about it? Uh, I, I, I read a, an old detective um, reprint. And they were talking about Gotham Village. I, I think it's supposed to be like in the center of Gotham. And I think it was, it was supposed to be like kind of like Greenwich Village. And it was really run down and everything like that. And I don't remember ever hearing of Gotham Village like in any of like the comics from the 80s or the 70s. And so I, I wonder if, if that's something that was just abandoned and maybe just disappeared in the earthquake. I, I, haven't really heard, <laughs> I haven't really heard of it, honestly. I mean, it, it sounds like it rings a bell a little bit, but... For the most part, you know, the ones that I feel like that it's one of the most untapped things in the Batman world is the history of Gotham. You know, mm-hmm. you get snippets of it in things like Return of Bruce Wayne and in gangs, you know, gangs of Gotham and and uh, hints of it and things like that. But for the most part, like, well, we, re- we really want to peel back those layers like Gates was exciting to me because I was like, oh, you know what? This is I can see so many possibilities from this stemming, you know, out like. Gotham in the tw- issue three, you see Gotham circa 1922, you know, issue four, you see it in the fifties issue. There's, there's a, there's an enemy to Bruce that dates all the way back to the founding of Gotham here. So part of that, that idea of creating a geography and a layered history with characters that exist that, and time periods that we might want to revisit. That's the other fun thing, you know, is that we're going to open windows into periods of Gotham with very charismatic, you know, um, figures so we're hoping that maybe it'll be something that people want to see something else like a another gates of gotham that takes place in the 30s or the yeah, 50s I definitely yeah that's what that's wrong <laughs> yeah um so yeah all-star western is supposed to take place in like the the western gotham times I, do you have any are are they like sharing their ideas with oh yeah, you? yeah 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 jimmy and uh justin yeah. we traded they showed me that script before it was drawn like long, long ago. And so, because part of my story, like my story spans that period of the late 1800s. So it goes back further than that. So we talked about it just about the architecture and about, you know, what Gotham would look like and the villains and the possibility of Wayne Manor and where that would be and the caves beneath it, all kinds of fun stuff. So we're very, very on board together. Like I, I love Jimmy and Justin and I, Jimmy is, um, you know, I, I, I've always been a big Jonah Hex fan. I love what they're doing in All-Star. I really think it's something special. Great. I can't wait. Yeah. I love Jonah Hex. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, maybe we should talk about Swamp Thing. Sure. Okay. So there's been many different versions. And, you know, I, I know you've you've kind of stated where, where you stand with them. Um, the first thing is the, the, the original, original Swamp Thing, Alex Olsen, is he just like not in a picture ever because I don't even think he was ever used after that. Yeah, uh, that, one, that absolute one shot. Of, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I've heard conspiracy theories that like there's going to be another Swamp Thing that's Alec Olson, Alex Olson, and that stuff. But you know, I'm not really interested. I, it's not something I'm particularly interested in right now. So I'm not. I don't know if that's something that will come up, you know, in the future. But I really wanted to kind of revisit the character of Alec, you know, and Alec Holland, and talk about who he, I mean, to me, that's the great unexplored territory of Swamp Thing because Swamp Thing, it's been explored in so many great ways when it comes to the elemental nature of the care, everything built off of Alan Moore, Mm -hmm. you know, with Swamp Thing being a warrior of nature, a God of nature, you know, elemental being everything. 
you know, from a, a mind, like somebody learning his powers to somebody who's more powerful than almost anybody in the DCU, including the Spectre, that to me is territory that's been well, well mined. So I was thinking, well, who's Alec Holland though, for God's sake, like Alec Holland appears on like what, five to 10 pages of comics ever as a human. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why was it him? Like, was the accident really an accident? And then it got me thinking like, well, what about all the people in the parliament of trees? Cause you know, there's just a couple pages, but they mention all these people were human at different times in life. And they were chosen by the green to be swamp things of different eras. And we've never really seen them. So that became the core of the series for me because the, the stories that I've always loved the most about Swamp Thing have to do with him wrestling with the loss of his humanity, whether he's a monster who thinks he's a man underneath, you know, or he's uh, a monster who knows that he was never a man in some way. It's always about that longing for a sense of humanity in a life that was lost. So this is really about somebody who's given a chance at life all over again, who crawls out of the swamp, you know, reborn. Um, and essentially said, has all the memories of Swamp Thing because he was joined to the green and brightest day. So his last real memories of being on fire and falling into the swamp and dying, but he has all these dreamlike memories of being in love with some lady with white hair and a <laughs> monster and fighting other monsters. And he just wants to forget all of it. He wants to forget the green. He thinks the green is violent and volatile. He has nothing to do with it. He just wants to start over. But the idea is, what if there's a reason the green spit him out just now? Like, what if there's an enemy forming that's actually in the enemy of Swamp Thing that we've never seen because it hasn't risen in, you know, 100 years, but essentially is the thing that Swamp Thing is designed to fight against, um, an opposing force, uh, and something that all of the members of Parliament are aware of, but Alec never got to be aware of because Swamp Thing is really meant to be joined, a human body, to the green. So the crux of the idea, the crux of the story is almost... What if the accident didn't turn Alec Holland into Swamp Thing? What if it actually prevented Alec Holland from becoming Swamp Thing? And the Green, you know, basically replicated him because he was meant to be this great Swamp Thing. And he had the highest level of, if everybody has these different levels of this kind of, you know, uh, element uh, in them, whether it's like a biological chemical or some kind of destiny, whatever you want to call it. But Alec Holland is almost off the charts and they were waiting for him to be the savior of the Green and then he dies before he can be. So that's the crux of the series and kind of the linchpin. That's, you know, again, that's treading into territory that gives a little bit away of what we're going to build in issue one and two. But the idea really is like, what if you were meant to be the greatest Swamp Thing of all time and you've never been it? So we don't know what it'll look like. We don't know what it'll, maybe he'll look totally different Swamp Thing. But, you know, you, all you want to do is forget all that stuff. But what if there's a mythology that extends to, to you and a destiny and a history to you and your family and the arcanes and all of that stuff? So that's, that's really the big take on Swamp Thing. I mean, I'm really proud of it. And Yannick is just knocking it out of the park. Yeah. I mean, wait till you see his art. He's just like, he's, you know, he really wanted to do something that would be a tribute to Bissett and to, to Wrightson and do stuff that was bold and different on the book. So when you see this, I mean, it's so detailed and so risky in terms of the kinds of panel separations he did with vegetation and bones and you know, odd, like, you know, flip book in issue two of like this diseased fly. And like, it's just wonderful. It's, it's really a celebration, like, you know, artistically. And I'm very proud of him. All right. Let me, let me ask um, to clarify, because since Swamp Thing has had kind of different versions, interpretations. Mm-hmm. So the way you're handling him, so did Alec Holland die when after the accident, and then the, the, did this? So what was Alec Holland really Swamp Thing, or did the swamp and the elemental stuff absorb his memories and create the Swamp Thing? Because that's a whole whole that. 
the debate whether Alec was actually Swamp Thing or Swamp Thing was formed out of his memories and genetic. Swamp Thing, Swamp Thing was formed out of him. Swamp Thing is a replication of Alec Holland because his consciousness is so valuable to the Green because he was the candidate that they thought the Green thought would become its great savior. That's that's the secret of our series. Okay. I mean, that's that's what that's the kind of foundation of it is that he died in the swamp. Okay. So and now, um, courtesy of Brightest Day, Alec Holland is back, mm-hmm. and Swamp Thing is is still around. So are they separate? Yeah, Swamp Thing isn't really around. If you read the last of the search for Swamp Thing stuff, I haven't read it yet. That yeah, I, well, he's. The idea is, you know, we were going to do a different kind of, we were, we, we thought about doing maybe a torch passing from brightest day straight to Swamp Thing, but then they wanted to sort of do a bridge series that really was about a lot of the other characters and the, the GCU dark and all that stuff. And I think John, you know, um, Vankin, uh, really did a good job with what, what he had to juggle there. But the, the idea was that, um, Swamp Thing, you know, Alec, there is no other, there's no Swamp Thing right now. So it's just Alec Holland human. There isn't like a monster out there that's Swamp Thing. Um, you will see a Swamp Thing as early as issue one, but it will be explained like as what it is. You know what I mean? And it's not a dream. That's not what I mean. <laughs> but there, there will be, you know, you, you will see, um, you will see, uh, uh, you know, uh, the legacy of Swamp Thing and the, the form of Swamp Thing coming to sort of, claim Alec Holland in some way. So it's not something that um, will disappear, but at the same time, it really is a series that focuses largely on Alec Holland as human. How, how far um, do you have Swamp Thing like mapped out? Mapped out? Well, the, the whole first, the whole first, the trajectory of it, it really is about 10 issues. So I have like the first 10 issues mapped out. I have the first four done um, and the rest sort of, you know, plotted, you know, like beats here and there. That, that's what I normally do is like, I know the ending, I know how it's going to end. And then there's some middle issues that I know the beats of, but I don't know ex- exactly how it'll fall on the page. I like to leave myself a little bit of breathing room in there, but, um, I work pretty far ahead. So yeah, I've four done. And how is Swamp Thing going to fit in now that he's in a DC universe versus ver- the Vertigo universe? <clears throat> Well, I mean, in the first issue, I really wanted to announce that he's in the DC universe. So you'll see Batman, Superman, and Aquaman. Um, that said, uh, he's not going to be fighting supervillains. Like, he's not, that's not the book. The book really is about Alec Holland, and it's a horror book. It's the sophisticated suspense label and all that kind of stuff on Swamp Thing. And we wanted to keep it in that tradition. That said, like, the, but in addition to that, if something happens in Swamp Thing that has big reverberations, which it will by the time we get to the climax, those things will affect characters in the DCU, and you will see characters in the DCU, uh, you know, um, impacted by those. So, so it's in the DCU. We'll alert you to that fact early. You will see characters from the DCU, but we also didn't want it to be Swamp Thing suddenly fighting Lex Luthor and stuff like that. So. It really is about Alec Holland searching for um, an escape from the Swamp Thing mythology. Okay, so your books tend to have a slightly darker tone, I guess you mm-hmm. could say. Um, you know, like Detective and American Vampire. And, yeah, he seems and like Severed. such a happy guy. You, so. Do you, know, do you right? just like go into this like ultra dark place when you start <laughs> writing, or I mean? I, I don't know. I think about that a lot because I'm always like, I've gotten asked that before, like. How do you then go and play with your kids? It always makes me feel really bad. <laughs> like, I actually, I, I mean, like, like James Jr. was like, you know, off the hook. I mean, he was just like so 
bad. I know. I, I wrote that part with where there's like the panel of the psychotic baby yeah. right when we had our baby. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't really know. I mean, I think there's, to me, it's not so much about going really dark and twisted. It's about challenging the character in a way that matters for them. And usually that means things that are horrifying to them, given you know, what they consider their own strengths and what they consider the kind of bedrock of who they are. So for Dick Grayson, it was really scary all the time because he's somebody who has all this faith in humanity. So you had to show him how ugly the world could be over and over and over again. Um, With Batman, it's maybe a little less scary and gruesome because with Bruce, I mean, and Batman, because, you know, Bruce isn't really intimidated by those things. It's more of a sense, a creeping suspicion that he's not as good at what he does as he thinks he is. So there, you know, that you will see, you know, murder and whatever and all that kind of stuff. But it's not, it was never meant to be sensational is the point. It was never meant to just be dark and gruesome. But, you know, it, it's meant to be psychologically challenging to the protagonist. I hope that makes sense. Yeah. All right. Here, here's a question that maybe you can't answer. Are there any um, plans or talks of doing any, like, major crossovers, like, down the line since... It seems, you know, that's that's kind of the big thing. Tie all the books together, do some event. Yeah, there there are. I mean, I don't know if it's like uh, something I can answer or not, but I'm going to answer it, which is that the that Halleck, uh, Jeff um, Lemire and I are planning really big stuff between um, Swamp Thing and Animal Man after our first arcs. So, you know, we have a raging bromance going on, the two of us. And we, we are, like, fully... Uh, committed to having a, you know, it's a shared world where you will hear about the red and the green and all that kind of stuff in Animal Man and here. Um, and at, at the other, at, at, on the other hand, um, we wanted to keep them separate for the first arc so that you would see each character very individually, but we've always planned on building a, a joint mythology. And the second arcs will really cross over in a big way. Because like, my, my um, problem, like in the 90s, I, I think it was the Contagion storyline. Like yeah. After that came out, and you had to pick up, you know, every single Bat title and Catwoman and everything related. Yeah, I remember that. That's when I started like cutting. I was, I was like, I, I'm not gonna, I can't do this. You know, I'm not gonna read all these. So it's like with all the, the new Batman titles, you know, are you guys gonna do like some big epic crossover or just? No, it? there's no. I mean, we really want to establish them separately with their own identities. So. There are no plans. I mean, I'll tell you the truth. Like the bat, the story I was telling you about in Batman has the potential to bleed into other bat books if people writing those bat books want to tie into it. But I, it won't be imposed upon anything. It will be like if you want to buy into it and use this moment in the story to challenge your character, you can. You know, so since you're writing it, they should. But yeah, well, I don't know. They're welcome to or not to whatever they want. You know, so. But it, it would be it'd be fun to get everybody on board, and, and people are excited about it too. I mean, I'm very excited about the other stories being told, and I've read Batman and Robin, and Pete's doing a great job, and Gail Simone. I really, really excited for that, and you know, Kyle, I'm very good friends with on Nightwing, and and Tony as well on Detective. So it's really a lot of fun. You know, you feel like you're working with a group of people that you like and you trust. So I hope that they will, you know, buy in, and we can do something fun just to be able to talk more and share stuff. Okay, I mean, you've you've told us plenty, and hopefully you haven't told us too much. Well, I hope not. You mean hopefully from my end? Or yeah, yeah, for your end. I know for us, it's it's been great. I mean, it's just you know hearing everything that you have planned, but yeah, you know, I guess you mean hopefully I don't get fired. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think that's gonna happen. 
Well, I mean, thanks for talking to us. I mean, we don't want to take up any your, more your of your, your time. Yeah. And we'll definitely we'll have to do this also, again. Yeah, I should I should plug our series, American Vampire. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to that's I want to talk to you about that. So the last issue that came out this week, <laughs> sorry, uh, that seems kind of crazy. Um, it's like, what's going to happen next issue? <laughs> Yeah, well, I don't want to give it away for people that haven't read it yet, I guess. Yeah, I don't want either. Like Something major, I guess, happens, you can yeah, say. Yeah, there's big game-changing stuff in issue 18. Um, we're really proud of that issue. It was an issue that we felt like we've never done a six-issue arc before. Uh, me and Raphael, five was the biggest we did before with uh, with uh, Steve mm-hmm. King. Yeah. So the biggest one was four. So this one really was our, our biggest, most epic one to date. Um, and we were very, very excited about the way it wrapped up. Um, and yeah, there are big revelations and some shockers in there yeah. in terms of what's coming up. Um, so check it out, check out ghost war. We're very, we're really excited. I think it's going to be collected along with the mini series with Sean Murphy's mini. So it'll be one big world war two giganto book, which I'm very thrilled about. Um, but anyway, the idea is what we're doing next is we're going to do a story about Skinner Sweet before he was a vampire. Um, uh, that takes place in 1871 during the Indian Wars, where it reveals a secret sort of friendship and really brotherhood between him and the man who eventually brings him down, Jim Book from, you know, cycle one, yeah. the, the Pinkerton, the lawman that brings Skinner Sweet, the outlaw down before there's any vampires involved. So it's really about them and their relationship. And there's also a storyline that has to do with the Apache and a possibly an American vampire prime that might be older even than Skinner, um, mm. different kind that exists out there in the world. That's even more powerful and frightening. So, and indigenous to this country. So there's going to be stuff about the Lewis and Clark expedition. There's going to be stuff about the Indian wars. There's going to be stuff about Skinner and book, um, and the VMS, like the, the vassals of the morning star. So we're really, really thrilled about this. It's a three part arc. And you know, the best part is that Jordy Brene, legendary Jordy Brene from Torpedo is writing it, mm. is drawing it. So it just looks great, and we're thrilled to have him on there. And then issue 22, Raphael, I'm just going to, you know, I just want to give you this art. You have to see this. <laughs> okay. You have to see this cover. It's just amazing. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make it my 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 avatar or whatever for so that you guys just, you can just pull it and see it and be like, oh, I just made it my avatar. So, I don't know, you know, never. But <laughs> the 50s begins this incre- incredibly fun two-part storyline that Raphael is going to draw both parts. It's going to be... The first part is going to be um, the introduction of a character. It starts with like a death race with these two cars, like speeding down a road, these two hot rods. And uh, one of the characters, the character that's narrating is like a young guy, you know, 19 years old, sort of a greaser in 1955, sort of like an Elvis type character in some ways. I'm a huge Elvis fan. So. Yeah. But he's like, he's driving a car that looks a lot like Christine, by the way. But anyway, he's driving, he's driving this like really badass hot rod against this other guy and you can't see who's in the car. Hmm. Um, it's basically, he, it, you think that he, he's basically our version of Van Helsing. He's like a young rockabilly Elvis vampire killer. Um, and he has a secret connection to the stories that we've already told in American vampire. He has a history that attaches to one of the arcs. I don't want to say what, but, um, and so it's going to be a really fun cycle. This are coming up. It's about, you know, suburbs and rockabilly and the music of that time. And it's really about youth and re- rebellion. So um, old vampires versus new vampires. And then 
Yeah, that's, you know, and the covers for them, Raphael is doing in the style of 50s advertisements. So it's great. that's cool. Yeah, the first one is the guy I was just telling you about, and he wears wooden fangs because he he has a little case, and whenever he takes down a vampire, he puts in the fangs made of the material that will hurt that vampire, and then he bites them, he tears their throat out. Oh, wow. Yeah, and so the headline is, he's leaning on a jukebox with his sunglasses, smiling at you, and it says, bite them back. American that's, vampire. That's awesome. Yeah. So each one, you know, the next one we were talking about is going to have Pearl, like a kind of Donna Reed, like serving up, you know, dinner <laughs> to whatever, but there's a vampire head on the platter. <laughs> She's like, there you go, family. So <laughs> we really, I just am so excited about what we're doing in this series. It's, it's like my baby and Raphael, you know, is co-creator and one of my best friends and it's always the place i love to go back to i love the dcu stuff i mean i couldn't be having more fun and be prouder of batman and swamp thing but also i just want to i never want to forget american vampire is something to bring up because it's the thing i i couldn't have more fun than working with those guys with Raphael and dave mckeg the colorist and our editor mark doyle yeah. okay here here's my my concern about american vampire i don't i don't know if i ever told you this so <laughs> uh it, it starts out like in the 1870s Right. And you're, you kind of jump around. So it's like we're already going to be in the 1950s. Yeah. Um, what happens, you know, when you get to like present day and, you know, are, are you just going to you know jump back? Because it's like you're 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 skipping a lot of time, which I know you can go back and tell those stories. But I, I guess my concern would be that you would get to the present and then, you know, what happens after that? Well, I mean, we have an ending in mind, honestly. I mean, there's a I know how it's going to end, but it's going to take a lot of setup. And um, along the way, we've discovered all these little stories we wanted to tell. Like this whole three-part story in the Indian Wars is something that I wanted to do in the first cycle. But when Steve came on and was doing the Skinner story, Steve King, I didn't really have a chance to do it. So there's a lot of things like that that I've had in the back of my mind. Like we're going we're gonna to do another miniseries like American Vampire Survival of the Fittest, you know, Volume 2 next summer that's going to explore the character of Hobbes, you know, and his history who's, you know, he's the senior member of the Vassals of the Morningstar, the organization that kills vampires and has been for a long time, has a secret headquarters underneath the Nat- Museum of Natural History with all these different vampire species from the past, like there's skeletons everywhere and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because for anyone that's not reading us, like our series is about vampire evolution and this idea that vampires, when their bloodlines hit different populations every once in a while, they mutate and form a, a newly evolved species of vampire with different powers and weaknesses and it focuses specifically on this american bloodline that's born in the 1880s uh that's stronger and more badass than anything that's come before but um you know with uh with where it's going in terms of that in the end i mean yeah we have this one that's going to be about jack the ripper in london and paris in the 50s um next summer and this 50s arc that's going to be a big you know fortified parter and then another mini another you know breather for Raphael. <laughs> we're going to do you know the story about skinner and then we're going to do another 50s arc that focuses on pearl and henry and skinner uh i mean uh, pearl and henry and other vampires that you haven't seen uh yet at all so and this kind of blacklist idea of the 1950s and a knock list and stuff so I mean, that alone to us really carries us for a whole another, you know, all the way through issue 30 something. And we're only in 1956 still. Yeah. So for us, I mean, there's, there's, we've, you know, we started really, I mean, in earnest, we started in the twenties when you think about Pearl being, yeah, yeah. and so in 30 issues, we're only up to the fifties. <laughs> so hopefully in another 30 issues, maybe we'll be up to the six seventies, you know, mm-hmm. because the other thing is that like, for example, in the, in the miniseries, the next issue of the miniseries, 
you're going to get glimpses of ancient Egypt. You know what I mean? Like we we're interested in starting to go all over the world and tell stories now that we've expanded the cast and expanded the possibilities through the characters to do stories that take place in all parts of the globe and different moments in history to show, you know, the brewing vampire war that's coming. And it's been there for a very long time that we haven't addressed centrally yet. That's about why these, these Carpathian vampires, the Dracula kind, are the dominant species of folklore and everything. Like, why are they the only ones around, really? Would you, know, you so. would you say would you say you're a, a big history buff, Scott? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, de- I took a lot of history in school, and I love American history. You know, as mm-hmm. as as a, a vein kind of to mine for for material all the time. I just I find like. I don't know. I, I guess, yeah, I would definitely consider myself a history buff. What, what would you say? What would you say is like the your favorite point, or the, I mean, that you've in history, in American history, that you've drawn from so far for American? Well, there's some that we haven't drawn from yet. I mean, mm-hmm. we're going to do something with the American Revolution and all that stuff, which I've always been, you know, really are you, fascinating. Are, you, are we going to see Alexander Hamilton? <laughs> You're going to see Paul Revere vampire oh (laughs) my goodness (laughs) no i don't i really don't know exactly how it's gonna pan out because it's really far down the line but for me i'll tell you this like there's no period that i've been more excited to get to than the 50s Mm -hmm. because as a big as a giant you know early rock and roll fan um ever since i was a kid i've loved rockabilly and the sun sessions and you know all of the kind of blues and country and stuff it's my favorite moment in in music um across the board from you know blues and jazz and rock and roll and and country music and all that stuff so um raphael as well we've been talking about the 50s forever so we're really excited about it and it's it's so we have so much to do that we're doing two arcs almost in the same year (laughs) so we're you know we're really we're really excited about just exploring that time period from different points of view. The first one really is about youth and rebellion, you know, mm-hmm. from this young guy who's killing vampires, who's, who's the VMS doesn't know what to do with almost because he's sort of a complete wild card. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, and has the secret history. And the second one really focuses on this idea of paranoia in the fifties and stuff like that too. And the idea of, you know, stop them before they get you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, I, the fifties, I would say is probably the period that I'm, I've been most excited to get to and in the introduction of this particular character and to catch up with Pearl and Henry at this moment when too, where you see them and Pearl is the, still the same, but Henry at this point is, is getting old, you know, he's getting up there and the people that see them think that he's her father and stuff. Oh, like wow. that. And she's taking care of her father and so on, you know, so there's, there's becoming a very strange dichotomy where she's, she's, you know, getting close to outliving him, you know, and there's the decision of, do you make him a vampire? Do you, do you keep him or do you honor what you've had and not do that somehow? Mm-hmm. You know, what do you do? Yeah. And, you know, so that, that question is really looming in the second fifties arc in a big way. So, you know, really cool. yeah. I'm really, I'm really thrilled. I mean, and that brings us, you know, another 12, that's another 12 issues down the line. So Pamela and David, the publicity people at DC would like kill me. If they, they knew they, that they, we they, had they, this like, conversation. <laughs> Well, no, they're always just like, it's not that they're spoilers. It's that they're just like, focus on the next issue. Cause it comes <laughs> no one's gonna remember a year from now. You did an interview, but in comic Vine, I'm just like, I know, I know, but I'm, I'm excited about those, you know, those two. And well, what I hope, we're, what I we're, hope we're, through, we're not going to, we're not going to tell them. So they can find it themselves. You know, I mean, if they find out, then 
I just mean that what, what I hope carries through is the enthusiasm that we have for the series, honestly. I mean, Raphael and I talk every day, like nonstop. We always email. Today, literally, I was I, I sent him a, <laughs> I sent him an email like five minutes before you thing, and I it says it says, Hey Rafa, excited to see the new designs for the vampire in issue twenty in issue twenty. And I don't want to give anything else away, <laughs> but it's like, you know, and we go back and forth because he's, you know, I don't know. We're both, we couldn't be more excited about this series. We never want to leave it. So I hope that even though we're talking about things that aren't coming up for a long time, what's coming up next is this Jordi Brene cycle. Um, that's, you know, tells you all about the secret vampire of the past in America and also about, um, the history of Skinner and book, which is something that will have big repercussions later on Mm -hmm. in some way or other, you know, in the legacies of those characters. So, um, you know, uh, but we hope that the exuberance that we have about the series carries, you know, people into it, even if we're talking about something a year down the line. Yeah, definitely. What about the future? Like, are we going to see like uh, in space? Yeah. Like like anything like that. Flying, flying cars. (laughs) That would be awesome. Vampires in space. Yeah. Um, no, I don't think, uh, you know, I, well, maybe I don't want to say, <laughs> watch, I'll be like 50 years old and being like, guess what? They're in space. <laughs> no? When it's like that thing where you swear you're never going to be singing satisfaction when you're like 50, you know, and then you are. So maybe I'll be doing vampires like in the Jetsons future or something like that. But right now I'll tell you the truth. Like we really do have an end in mind and it's an ending that's been there from the beginning. And it's something I think is really moving and really you know important to the series Mm. um and it it takes place you know around present time so it's something that i do want to bring up to date and you know and and have it end with dignity in some way so hopefully we'll just run long enough to get there i mean we keep taking these detours because we get excited about other stories but Mm -hmm. you know i would love to to do something like 76 issues you know for the you know the the 19 for 1776 or 100 issues or something like that you know so we have a lot of story to tell but we do have an end in mind very cool all right well Well, thank you so much yeah thank you so much scott it was yeah it's definitely been very cool talking to you about all of your uh current and upcoming projects so um, no, it's always a pleasure, you guys. I mean it. Like Comic Vine is so dear to our hearts on on all of these books, like on Tech, on Batman. You know, Greg Capullo, same thing. Um, the Swamp Thing, Yannick, all of us. Like you know, and, and on AV above all, like Raphael and I always are talking about your guys' reviews of our stuff and everything. So we really, really appreciate it. We appreciate that you're fan driven and that you guys also are involved in this stuff. And you know, it means a lot to us. So thank. It's really a pleasure to be here and an honor. So Swamp Thing number one, September seventh, yeah. and Batman is it's the twenty first. Not soon enough. Oh, yeah, that, that's the thing. It's like, <laughs> what the heck? Batman should be week one. Yeah, right. What's that? What's that, Scott? We're not friends anymore. Out. I'll print it out and give it to you. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then, and Sever number two should be out soon, right? That's true. I didn't. You know, I should have. I should have said more about that series. But really quick, in a nutshell. Severed is a series I'm doing through Image with my best friend since we were like 13 years old. And it focuses on a time period we were both really interested in, this period of like optimism in American history in the night in around 1916, right before World War One, and our involvement in World War One really. And and it's this time of like great ingenuity where there's like electric lights and cars and phonographs and everyone thinks anything is possible. And we wanted to do a horror story that focuses on 
a character that's extremely optimistic and the light side of all that stuff. So it's about a young boy that runs away to try and find his father, who's a minstrel performer, a blackface performer, um, and he rides the rails looking for him. And then do a character that's the exact opposite, who's just called the salesman in the series, who basically goes around. Yeah, he's like he's a traveling salesman, and he he's been he says he's been on the roads for hundreds of years, you know. And he sells you know he sells all kinds of different things, and he's always sort of changing it up to his identity. And he has these great this great smile, it's like pearly whites, and everyone's mm-hmm. like, "You're such a nice old man. Like, why? How is it possible that you could be an effective salesman?" He's like, "Oh, don't let him fool you. Behind these pearly whites, I got razor sharp teeth." Mm-hmm. And nobody ever believes him, and then you turn your back on him, and he pulls his teeth out and puts them in a case. <laughs> That's like <laughs> the opening, and you don't, you know. So anyway, severed is something I'm really, really excited about. It's very, very different than anything else because it's a real slow burn, but. That's that's my my pitch for for severed. Um, yeah, I'm really I and thank you to everybody reading us. Please, like it, this is my dream job. I promise I'll do everything in my power not to let you down. Awesome. Uh, ever. Yeah. But I really appreciate it. Thank you. No, thank you. All right, Scott. Have a wonderful weekend and uh, avoid the hurricane, please. I will do. Yeah, this yeah. might be like my eulogy, whatever. <laughs> yeah, we we need more. We need more uh, American Vampire and Batman, and you yeah. need to keep you need to keep writing. So you I have to be like, I love you, mom. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right, thanks, guys. Thanks, All right, Scott. bye, Scott. Yeah. All right, now we're going to talk about comic this week's books? comics. Well, first, first, that was fun. Yeah. I really like Scott Snyder. He's Scott, a cool guy. Scott is awesome. Yeah. And speaking of Scott, which we didn't talk about Gates this. Of Gates of Gotham. Gates of Gotham. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about Gates of Gotham later, but this is issue five. Of five. Of five. So this this is it. This is the end. This is basically, this is like the last Batman comic before the new 52. So this is the last time we'll be seeing uh, Dick Grayson as Batman. Yes, and um, without spoiling things, there there is a scene that kind of addresses that. And you know, last week in Justice League of America, uh, Dick mentioned that he was going wanting to go back to Nightwing or something like that. And so there's there's something in here. But I think the main thing is there's like so much like hidden hidden meaning. Like if you read between the lines, so like like that the scene again. I don't want to spoil anything. It's not like direct. Like in your face, like passing baton. Here it is. But if you you look at like the s- symbolic nature of the scene, you really kind of you can interpret what's going on. And like the the same thing with the that conversation with Tim and Cassandra. I mean, which that, is also in this issue. Yeah, I mean that's that's total. I I think that's totally. Well, when that, I first uh, that that's that's a, a statement yeah, on on I, the fact that she's been screwed over. Yeah, I, I I agree with you. And it's I was just like yeah, I mean that that was that was, it was a great line and and I, I the the sad thing is it's like the the more of this stuff and like detective comics you know how great everything is I'm kind of sad to see all the stuff ending that we're getting to relaunch mm-hmm. and even though Scott Snyder's been saying everything's carrying over everything's going to happen but it's like in here and in Red Robin you know how we, we see Tim and, and Cassandra like kind of like they're building up a stronger relationship Mm -hmm. you know whether they would start dating or anything like that i don't know but i would like to see more of that explored i think it would be so weird though because uh, tim drake used to date stephanie brown and their friends so what i mean it happens all i mean no you don't you don't you don't date your girlfriend's ex-boyfriend you do not go there well this is tim drake we're talking about okay tim um yes so like i never got that no one wonder girl yeah cassie cassie sandsmart she she was with with connor then Superboy died, 
And then their whole thing is like, like, oh, are we together? Are we not? And they, they, there is, there is something there. There's some even, tension between even them. Even though Connor was Tim's best friend and he was dead, but he was dead. But still, he can't be there. If okay, all right. Let's say you, you die, and then your best friend starts to hit on your wife. You're dead. Would you care? Well, I'm dead. I mean, it depends. Right. Depends on what but, happens. Oh, okay. Well, when you're when you're alive, would you be like? Hey wife, it's cool. You can totally hook up with my best friend. I don't know he's in Texas now. I don't know. Well, she, all right. She doesn't really let's like Texas. not let's not hot. be so <laughs> critical. Be no, wife. I mean just <laughs> just like would you want your wife to continue to live out her life and like I think well, obvi- okay, obviously if something ha- if I was out of the picture, I would want my wife to be happy. I wouldn't want her to live the rest of her life alone. Right. And if it was someone if it I happened really cared to be about, your best friend, then that that's great. Rather than some douchey guy who I who have no idea what right. his intentions are, and yeah. However, if you're still alive, yeah. these rules do not apply because you're still alive. Yeah, it makes things messy. It's just so awkward because then it's always going to be coming up. You know, like like okay, let's say. I mean, this is stuff let's that happened in high I, school all the time. Let's say I did no, it didn't happen to me in high school. Let's say I date a guy, and then my best like I break up with him, and then my best friend starts dating him. What do we talk about? Like, yeah, Jake's a super good kisser. How do you know that? Well, yeah, <laughs> you I know? mean, that, like, that's things that you would just avoid because I think I recalling trying to think back to my high school years. I mean, yeah. like stuff like that happened and. Maybe because it was high school and, you Wait, know. It, how big I mean, is your class? But it always caused drama. Uh, about like 400. Like you, your you, whole class? My, my, my grade, yeah. And you could not, like people had to date their friends? Well, because you got your, your different circles. Your, your different cliques and all that. I don't know. I, just, I never did that. I, I guess I didn't date very many people. I haven't been around the block. See, so I, was, I, I was part of two different cliques. That's how so cool you I was. dated like <laughs> within like two different cliques. Two uh, types of girls. No, nah, I, I, I'm trying to think. I think maybe I, I dated more in. Actually, maybe it was different. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Wow. Changing Tony. G-man to ladies man. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, oh, he totally here's, should. Here's the thing, and we're so off topic, but that's that's Whatever. I guess what we're about. Because like so basically <laughs> the. Find podcasts going off topic. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, basically, so in my my it's too much information here. But my high school, I mean, you you had your jocks, right? Which you know, I played football, I I yeah. ran track, so I was I was part of that. But I was also I was. In the smart classes, so, so I, I was kind of like, there. But then I was also I, a lot of my friends were in the there were skaters, were, which I, at my school they were referred to as the freaks. So I, I you know hung out. The, the jocks and the freaks hated each other, but I was in both of these like cliques. So then they they accepted me in both, and and then you know there's also kind of like the smart clique, which I guess I didn't really hang out with them. Some was, we had some smart athletes. I was not in a clique. So I mean, I guess if you want to call it that, yeah. And then then I guess you had the. Motorheads or the stoners, whatever you want to call them. And, Motorheads. And then, did they ride motorcycles? I, I, I think I think they were stoners. <laughs> I see a bunch of kids dressed as Ghost Rider, like riding on motorcycles, like into the schoolyard. Vroom, vroom, vroom. What's up, teach? <laughs> Anyways, enough of that. Give me your money, math teacher. Um, Gates of Gotham. What I do want to say, and I think I mentioned this in, is the, re- it's in the review, fantastic. Is when when Cassie jumps into water. I, I didn't. I think in the review I didn't mention who, but people should have read it by now. Mm-hmm. I love that she took her cape off. Oh, I should have t- talked to Scott about this because in, in Detective <laughs> Comics is like eight seventy seven or something like that. Dick goes into water. He's got his cape. That cape's gonna be heavy. 
And then with the water, he's going to get all wrapped up and everything and weighed down or tangled up. But here, she goes in water. She, she takes it off because you don't need a cape when you're underwater. Well, first of all, you don't need a cape that is also all torn the F up. Because that her, cape her is like a it's big... A statement. What statement is that? It's I'm like going to get the, caught on every like uh, sharp it, it, end. It, it, it's like in the 80s when you had uh, the, 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 no, the no, pants it, with like a zillion... But it doesn't work as a strategically cape, placed rips. You walk into a room and then you get caught on everything. And then it, you it, cause it, more it's, damage. It's, it's, no, it's... it's it's Wayne Wayne Tech. It's Wayne Technology. It's 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 um caught resistance or tangle resistance catch resistance. Is, where does it say that, Tony? It's you got to know. It's Wayne Technology. Where they, does they it do say everything. that though? So it's like it, it, uh, it's it's got a slick surface where it, it can't, can't catch. I disagree. I disagree. Which um speaking of, no. of Wayne Tech, mm-hmm. that's that's where Red Robin's getting his his wings from. His his functioning wings. So he will. Oh, you know what's going to happen? I know exactly what's going to happen in the new 52 with, with uh, Tim. Kingdom Come. He's got, well, no, but very interesting. Very good. Uh, he's going to get his wings. Then he's going to join Hawkman, and he's going to leave the Teen Titans and become a Hawkman. Yeah. And fly. They're going to fly together into the sun. Red Robin Man. Red Robin Man. <laughs> yeah, so Scott Liddell said that um, the, the, the blame and the, the credit goes to him for the wings. He thinks, you know, if, if you got all this Wayne technology, why wouldn't they make something like that? So we'll see how, how it goes. Well, are they like real feathers or something? Yeah, probably not. Like, like metal feathers? I mean, if, if someone lame like the vulture can, yeah. can, can fly, why can't sure, someone who has flies. Wayne technology and all the crazy stuff we've seen just since Batman Inc., like all the different armors and stuff? I mean, the, wing, the wings don't necessarily bug me. I mean, no, it, I, I think I, some cool, it's, some it's just like it's just like having a cape, you know, just with other yeah. more pieces. Yeah, and if he's a, a Robin, you know, why mm-hmm. not? Yeah, take so, it literally. Yeah, Gates of Gotham, awesome. Uncanny X Force number thirteen, also very good. Yes, also awesome. Continuing uh, in the proud tradition of being incredible. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's so many deaths, and it's just—I mean, I know it's the Age of Apocalypse world, so it's like, eh, whatever. But it's just like, let's just kill them all. Come on, matter. Rick Remender. It's like, jeez. That's what I like about alternate dimension stuff. Like, you don't actually know who's going to live and who's going to die. Well, so um, kind of a spoiler that Marvel did because uh, what? Spoiling what? <laughs> I, I think what what I know what a lot of people <laughs> were hoping and thinking that Jean Grey. Is gonna come over and join the team, or yeah, just come I was, into Marvel I, Universe? I was one of those Whether people, she does actually. or not, we don't know. But we've seen the one teaser. Well, we um, <laughs> we've seen the one teaser where Nightcrawler is is in standing in front of some shadowed people. So yeah. it's like, obviously, that's a big spoiler. You know, we it doesn't happen here. We'll, we'll say I don't think. Well, maybe it does. So anyway, somehow Nightcrawler <laughs> is going. I read it in the cab on the way back. <laughs> I had to read it before I before you took it for me. So, it's very good. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, crazy. Um, it's very and then, interesting. At oh, the and end, then the, the last like, page. What are you going to do? We've only got. Well, not not the last 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 page is, is <laughs> the last cast, page is Nathan Fillion being the castle. by the police. <laughs> but yeah, that last is like you. No, I'm not going to read it. Just, just read it. Just read it. No, I'm not going to read it. Why? Well, Spoiler. I no, I can't. What the heck? People need to pay their their three ninety nine. Hates Phantom X. I think it is hilarious. And Except awesome. me, I love it. Well, no, I, like the fans love him. I love him, but like every all the characters just. Can't stand him. Sorry, did I just drop an F bomb? No, I don't <laughs> know. No, you didn't. I don't think so. But yeah, but, like, uh, it's, like uh, Age of Apocalypse Gambit just 
they they have this great back and forth because you know one's Creole and one's French, and he's like, "Is that yeah. French accent fake?" And he's like, "Yeah, but it's better than your mutt Creole accent." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's funny. Everybody hates. I that. I think I think that's the cool thing about uh, uh, Rick is that he sort of pokes fun of these characters like and has them yeah. exchange this. Funny, funny dialogue. Kick ass too. How was that? I liked it. Super brutal. I liked it. Um, well, okay, the thing that sucks, and everyone knows, is it's the, the delay. It's like it's it's been so long, and I almost forgot. It's like what happened in issue one and two. But then you can easily jump into it. It does feel like there's two separate books here, and someone pointed out it might be because how they're um, first showing the, the like parts of it. Well, and working on other stuff. Well, that's the thing. he's he's working on Avengers. Um, you know he's he's doing that. I, I'm not sure if he's still gonna be on there, but there's, you know, he, 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 and he's only doing like the breakdowns here. But I mean, it looks amazing, and like I think it's Tom Palmer does is doing the finishes and everything, and then Dean White I think does the colors. But it's just it's really good. It starts off. It feels like one of those documentaries where it's like people, you know, that's what it's supposed to be like. You know, people dressing up like this. You know, they're not real superheroes. They're just dressing up trying to fight crime. You get all that. Kickass has all these friends. He's in a team. They're they're doing all this stuff, and then things go bad. God, they, they go crazy. Uh, and this might be the most naturalistic that Mark Miller's dialogue has ever been. And I say that as a fan of Mark Miller, but he sometimes stumbles over writing like dialogue that people actually see sound like they would be saying to one another, which can't work if you're working with superheroes who aren't really people. But in this book, like it's very naturalistic. It's very back and forth. It's very. It sounds like how people talk. Yeah, and and there's two major things that happen that will that's moving the plot along, the story along. So it's not just like it's not just the same stuff from the first series over again. I mean, we're definitely moving, progressing the story. So very interesting. The all new Wonder Woman number six fourteen. I have not read this, Sarah. Oh, I did. So uh, to read this, and then you don't need to read the last. 13 issues before it. <laughs> there you go. Um, every, every, like the whole uh, st- story that has been leading, that we've been leading up to sort of ends here. This is the final issue of Wonder Woman. It does not, however, explain what's going to happen next. So we don't know how Wonder Woman will transition into New 52, Wonder Woman, whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, it, the whole discovering herself thing, it ends here, uh, the end. Overall storyline? It was, I guess it depends on whether or not you can appreciate a, a story that's written and then you find out in the end that it's all been a dream. Do you feel like it's a cop oh, It's a dream? What? Spoiler? Spoiler? <laughs> no, no, I mean, I, I guess it's, it's the way... It's not a dream. I'm using that yeah. as an example. No, um, see, because I, I, I kind of liked the beginning and I kind of dropped off and, and for what it is, it's, it's a story with the beginning and an end, and, uh, beginning and an end. Yeah. But... But... If you get nothing out of it, yeah, then I guess well, I mean, you know. And did she? I mean, what What did she gain? Well, I mean, there was something interesting, and in it was something that really got pointed out to me near the end of this, and I won't spoil anything. But uh, that's something my wife brought up to me because we were talking about sort of like the the hero's journey and how, like the the male hero's journey. I can't remember which one is. It's like some Greek myth that typifies this. Is the male either symbolically or literally kills his father and assumes his role whereas the female who was the story of i want to say whoever went to get her daughter out of hell out of uh, tartarus oh uh it was no demeter was no but what what is this story of is this the story of persephone 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And okay. Like she had to, every layer that she went deeper and deeper down, she had to shed something else of her, like, mortal attachment. Mm. And so when you get, like, sort of traditional, quote-unquote, like, hero's journey from a female perspective, it often involves some kind of, like, sacrifice and some sort of, like, just letting go of all your preconceived both notions and everything that you hold dear for the sake of this one thing. Mm-hmm. And this, uh, this book, in that way, perfectly exemplified that. It perfectly exemplified sort of the traditional female hero's journey. Mm-hmm. But, um... Like, symbolically, if nothing else. Oh, yeah, I, I, I get that. But do you feel like she came out a bit different? <laughs> we're, sp- we're spending too much time on Wonder Woman. Well, I don't know, because I didn't read the 13 issues that preceded I just, I just think, I just think that overall, I think that that concept is very nice. I think that it does... That it, it, I t- totally see what you are saying, you know it, that issue does this issue 614 does read that way but um it could have been a five issue arc yeah yeah <laughs> i could see that and i think that there was like the pacing was a little bit off whereas uh if they were going to expand any point of this story at all it would be her battle with nemesis i was gonna say it's, it's odd that you say the pacing was off because this seemed almost truncated it seemed really rushed. Extremely rushed. <laughs> like and I, won- I wonder and this was how it ended. I wonder if, if that's just because this was supposed to take a lot longer and then the New 52 happened, so they had to end it. But supposedly everything, know? I think this and like Superman were supposed to be 12 issue stories, but this has been more, I don't know. I don't know either. I, I just, we'll I, think, I think that this story was, it would have been much better if it had been much shorter. There was a lot less that we had to deal with. Anyway. Okay. Punisher number two, um, awesome. Yeah, Great. yeah, I, I it's love, very good. You know, we have we have that. we have different types okay. of Punishers that we've had. You know, some people like you know the the, the serious Punisher, no superheroes. You know, all that. Some and people then, like the Frankencastle. Yeah. yeah. So so with um, Rick Remender, he he did the, you know the first issue. You know, he's trying to kill Norman Osborn and Sentry. You know, he's fighting trying. He's on a run from Sentry and all that. So and then he turns into Frankencastle, which you know I I appreciate that for the story it was because. I knew that it was going to stay of that course. way. You know, somehow it's going to be brought back. So I enjoyed it for the fun little adventure it was. It seemed it was... like how Matt Fraction was writing The Punisher as like this sort of absurd yeah, character. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, um, so then we, we have this. What I like about this is you don't really, you don't hear, and this is kind of like what you touched on with Batman hearing his inner voice. Right. We don't really hear Punisher's, you know, it used to be you got Punisher War Journal entry. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to get the drug dealers. I'm going to shoot them and, and kill them and, and all this stuff. You know, so you don't, you don't get that here. It's just like the Punisher's there. He's quite, you know, he does what he, he, he does. He has a, a new kind of partner, someone that, you know, he's, he's working with. I was just saying in case people haven't read the first couple issues. You're going to say, is it not the guy from well, the, Fractions? No, no, that, that guy. Oh, I forget that guy. That was, I think, Jigsaw's kid? Something like that? Ooh, or the somewhere. that was the inventor. The, the yeah. Who hates Tony Stark. Uh, no, no, there's, there's no, there's. Rampage. Well, there's also there. He had a new microchip too. Oh, okay, um, a new one. Yeah, he's a, a younger guy. So, I mean, this is just great. The only thing I didn't like about this issue, I think I gave, I, I gave it a five, but there is um, a villain set up who he's going to fight against. I don't like this villain. He, <laughs> I, I don't want to spoil who it is in case people know, um, and, and Corey's going to spoil it for himself. Yeah. But he, this this villain appeared in another character's series and i didn't like the character there so maybe the good thing is um puncher will kill him <laughs> and i don't have to worry about that uh, wolverine number 14 so this is a uh, um, wolverine what's a revenge this is a conclusion 
the basically the, the the story here is you know Wolverine went to hell and he escapes he there's there's this group that set that all up sent him there you know they're, they're, they want to get revenge against him and it turns out that they're all family you know members they they've had someone in their family that got killed by Wolverine whether it was an accidental thing or whether it was when he was working for some black ops government thing and was assassinating people or whatever or just mindless berserker Wolverine so it's like all these people who've had loved ones killed they want him to pay so they send him to hell and then they're doing all this stuff so this is the conclusion major twist crazy Wolverine will never be the same Except that he's not really well. Yeah. So, but it's, it's, I, I've been enjoying it. Yeah. The 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 first arc, the Wolverine goes to hell. I didn't really care for the, that so much. Um, the the second issue where he was possessed by the demon and, and the X Men were coming after him and the sucker punch girls in his mind. That was okay. But this, I I've really enjoyed this. Exists. Yeah. It's just great. So read this definitely. X Men number sixteen. So we have X Men and the FF. Uh, I th- I think the story is interesting. It's fun. I, I, I mentioned this to you before. I like that they're bringing in Lee Forrester. Yeah. Who, 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 I can't remember last time. Mm-hmm. I thought she was dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that's, I assume char- you don't hear from characters are dead. Some but, of I think some of the characters, though, uh, well, I think. Emma. Yeah. I, who is she anymore? I don't think she knows. And I mean, the whole thing, her, her whole no, persona. I don't think they know. No, em, Emma, she, she is not this, I don't think she's necessarily this tough, hard-edged person that she wants to be. Because when you go back to her origins, you know, you see her when she was a kid, you know, and, you know, she fell in love with her teacher and then in college, you know, all this stuff. So I, I don't think she's the most confident, you know, that that's who she created. And, and yeah, she she is confident in her, all that stuff. And, you know, she can but don't be you grow out of that? You know, when you're I, a teenager, you might be a little uh, less confident but, than know, when you grow up and you her, become her, an adult. And she had no no like family interaction. You know, her, her her dad had had nothing to do with her. Her, her mom was just, you know, in her own little little rich. Yeah, so and you know her her brother was locked up, you know, and had mental issues. So I I just think her everything about her, you know, she was never she like created the white queen person. You know, she she grew into that and evolved and I don't think she necessarily can, you know, she might still have some insecurities even though she shouldn't. I don't know. But this is a crazy adventure. Um I like, you know, Doctor Doom and X-Men are like, "Why is Doctor Doom with you?" and, you know, it's it's weird seeing Doctor Doom in his white outfit, so um, it's it's I think it's gonna be fun, crazy, where 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 where, where it goes, yeah. So I, I like that. Ultimates or Ultimate Comics, the Ultimate number one. So this is kind of like the, the relaunch or bringing things back, um, spilling out of the pages of Ultimate Fallout. So there's some stuff with. I'm assuming is Reed Richards. Oh, this is this is an interesting story. Yeah. So um, what we saw in Ultimate Fallout is Nick Fury's funding has been cut big time. So you know he's he's got to do all this stuff, and there's craziness going on, attacks and. Real as Nick Fury deals with bureaucratic red yeah. tape. Yeah. So I think it's off to a good start. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm excited. Uh, I'm just I'm just worried that we're going to start seeing way too many ultimate books because we have ultimate x-men coming out we got new ultimate spider-man i think there's gonna be ultimate hawkeye i, I can't afford like <laughs> like ultimate everything in the regular marvel universe mm-hmm. so. i like that they're they're really going in a different direction i like that they have they've chosen this this path where reed richards is a villain where 
like most of the what we consider like big X Men are dead. Yeah, like a yeah. Lot of they Spider Man's dead. And they're doing huge changes and they're sticking to them, which yeah. that was the whole point when it first started off. It's almost like everything was the same. Which yeah, it was not. Which crazy. was okay. <laughs> you know, it was great for new readers, whatever, who don't, don't want you know decades. Of, but now they're actually yeah. drastically changing things. Which know, we, like Ultimatum may have been a little clumsy. Clumsy, but it like I like what has happened as a result of it. Yeah, I mean, I and I, I think I know a lot of people put it on Jeff Lowe, but I, I think it was an editorial thing. They're like, we need to clean house. You know, yeah. we, we want to do some big changes, like and yeah, and and because of that, you know, the mutants are now hated, and they're, they're you know, so it's it's like that came out of that. You know, we got rid of Magneto, who was maybe like too powerful, and and it's surprising. It just. Magneto's dead. Professor X is dead. Cyclops is dead. Doctor Doom's dead. It's like it's yeah. crazy that and Wolverine's dead. That they they kill all these huge power players and they're sticking with it. So that's I I'm impressed that, that they had the nerve cool. that they're doing it. Batman Incorporated number eight. Oh my goodness. Uh, so this is Tron, Bat, right? Tron. So the art I didn't like it. Then I thought, oh, this is kind of okay. I mean, there's there's some parts that I I think are kind of neat. It looks like reboot, um, <laughs> not in a good way. But the the story, you know, they they talked about the internet 3.0 before, and uh, I, I don't I don't know. It just it seemed to be a holding pattern issue. And they're one of the, the stock people was like it's like oh I have a, a butt kiss meeting with with Bono, and I, they mentioned something. You know, it's like I don't want the pop culture stuff reference. You know, current whatever going on. I'm not sure exactly. Her. Bono is like super topical. He's been around for. But, but still, you know, yeah. It's topical if you're Graham Morrison and you live in and, Great but Britain. But the, the only redeeming thing is there's a mention of a previous Grant Morrison character at the end, uh-huh. which makes you like, oh, when are we going to get the next part? Because, you know, Batman Incorporated is being relaunched in 2012. But supposedly, um, I must have missed this announcement, that they're going to, there's like, there is an issue 9 and 10, which they're going to, put out as like a one shot that's supposed to because i mean the whole what we've been seeing lately is leviathan this group it's like wh- what's going on with them we, right. we have no closure here and it's like we got to wait and all of a sudden bruce wayne is back in gotham and where's batman inc and so i guess we'll we'll get some closure some sometime ff number eight the return of steve epting i really want to like this book but i'm just continuously baffled by it <laughs> um i i'd i like this one more the i'm I'm okay with the Inhumans. I'm okay with Black Bolt. I, I'm not a huge fan of them. So, you know, that's what we basically had the last couple issues was dealing with all them. But what I like here is there's a lot of, like, Sue talking to Nathaniel. Like, you know, what's going on? You know, why are you holding back? You know, you know all this stuff. And <clears throat> I liked how he says at one point where he's like, I'm not going to tell you this this part. And so I absolutely love the character actions. I just feel like if anyone walked up to me and was like, oh, what's going on in that book? I would not be able to yeah. tell them one way or the other. And I, this is why, this is one of the reasons why I love Steve Epting. This scene here with Dr. Doom and the other villains and just the, yeah. like the angle. It's, uh, I, I, yeah, I like Steve Epting. So. I like the book. Like I said, I just, it baffles me. Yeah. So there's very nice action scenes and twists and betrayals. So, it's, it's good. X-Men Legacy 254. So as you can see on the cover, we have Havoc. We have a Marvel girl, Rachel, Rachel Summers. I we didn't like this Pol- much. Polaris. Um, I haven't been reading X-Men Legacy. No, you know, I, I, I think that everyone knows that. If you've been listening to past podcasts, we never mm-hmm. talk about it. Yeah. Um, so this is Rogue's team. So it's Rogue and Magneto, Gambit and Frenzy. 
who I didn't realize Frenzy was really hanging out with him because you know she's she used to be a villain. She I think she came out with Apocalypse, um, and I think it was Apocalypse, and then she was an acolyte with Magneto and everything. So she's she's basically you know she's like okay mutants you know we're, there's a few of us I'm gonna go to Utopia and I respect Magneto and. So we have all that. So basically, uh, what happened previously, since I haven't read the, the previous issues, but there's a nice little recap that they got an intergalactic distress call from Rachel from Marvel Girl. So Rogue absorbs one of Legion's. Tel- he has a teleportation power, which I don't know if, if that was known before. So they they teleport themselves across space to try to rescue their former. You know, because you know, because havoc and havoc Polaris and you know they're all they they became in the Star Jammers. And it's like where have they been since mm-hmm. you know Warrior King? We haven't heard anything. So, I what I like about this is because I haven't read previous issues, I feel like I'm just like thrown in there, and that's kind of how you know they they teleport across space, so they're kind of thrown into you know some alien world. So it it, it kind of it worked for me because I haven't been reading it because they're thrown in there. So and then there's the last page is like. Uh-oh. Captain America and Bucky, 621. So this this is just a really fun issue. Um, I really had my doubts about this. It's like I don't want, you know, hidden origin or hidden, you know, past tales and stuff like that. But with Chris Samney's art and and guess who does the colors? Betty Britweiser. Oh, she's so great. Oh, it's just so awesome. And and it's just there, there there's a lot of dialogue. Just seeing Bucky as a kid and, you know, there's a scene where they're watching the, the movies and, you know, they got actors playing Captain America and Bucky, you know the 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 war movies, you know the whatever. You know, I don't know what we call those. Yeah. So I mean, but Bucky's like, ah, oh, this this sucks. This is ridiculous. You know, it's just it's 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 great seeing this young Bucky, who's you know we we never really saw this young Bucky, um, you know, since Brubaker brought the Winter Soldier back. Teen Titans number one hundred. Mm-hmm. It's explosive one hundredth issue. J T. Kroll was did it? this. It was explosive, uh, yeah. Because um, so Superboy Prime was back, and he brought all these other Superboys, and they're all attacking crazy fights, and <laughs> and and how can the Teen Titans um deal with them? So they they get pretty Superboy pretty Prime. pretty hardcore. So there's a character I hope doesn't make it into the new Fifty Two. Who Superboy Prime? Oh, like that character was kind of a one note like villain, and, and that note is played out. And there's there's some hints like oh you know Super because Superboy and and Wonder Girl broke up. And stuff like that. But then there's been like these little subtle tiny hints of Superboy and, and Ravager. It's like, what? How could that be? And everything. And um, Ravager flirts with everyone. Well, what's interesting is I, I guess it, it was it was in the, the solicit for Superboy number three. And you can see in the, the pages from in the, the Scott Liddell interview that Ravager is going to be in, in Superboy. What's up with the phone book on the cover here? How many people worked on this thing? It's a hundredth oh, issue. Well, gosh. I mean, no, there's there's a there's a lot of um, pinups at the end oh, too. Okay. I'm, I I'm assuming that's that part of it. Sense. So yeah, so in the new Superboy comic, Ravager Rose Wilson is going to be there. So okay. it's kind of interesting to see. I don't like her. Uh, you don't like a lot of people. I know. You don't like half the people in this room. <laughs> and we know you like Corey. <laughs> Project Flashpoint, Project Superman. <laughs> Half the people, so I think she likes all of you. Anyway. Um, Project oh. Superman, Flashpoint, Project Superman number three. I, did anyone read it? I didn't read this. No, I didn't. Um, um, how was that? It was all right. Um, it's kind of got a big thing on the end. Um, I'll tell you this: re- if you're reading 
like all the flashpoint stuff, uh, read Lois Lane and the Resistance before you read this because this takes place after that. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's it was interesting. Um, it was kind of weird because the uh, Subject Zero who we've seen in the past now looks like Super Saiyan Three Goku, uh, which is kind of jarring for me. But that's just me personally. Um, I mean, it wasn't great. You get to sort of see Superman the hero emerging, which is always cool, always very neat. But um, yeah, I mean, it didn't like, leave a huge impression on me. But neither did it like insult me or yeah. anything like that. Yeah, I don't. I don't think Matt Alfring liked it. I think mm-hmm. yeah, he gave it a kind of low review. But I haven't had a chance to look at it. New Mutants number thirty. Anyone look at this? I don't. Yes, I did. And what do uh, you think? I haven't I looked. I was lost. I haven't read any of the previous ones. I realized. Oh, this is a fear itself. <laughs> um, all I know is um, Nate Gray X Man is going to be in the team according to those those teasers. That came out. Well, he's, he's in the team now. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. Because they they, uh, they they saved them a couple issues ago. Long story short, the new mutants are in hell, uh, making a Again. bargain with Mephisto to try and uh, you know help <laughs> help with this whole Asgardian thing. Uh, Danny is still a Valkyrie. She's kind of trying to help in her own way by like recruiting the souls of the dead. It's kind of like the Return of the King. But uh, yeah. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, number one. Kind of awesome. Yeah, I I, I gave it a four. It's, it's, I, I feel like it's a little name droppy. Like they're trying to cram as many characters from the who yeah. as possible. Like you get not only do we get April O'Neil already, not mm. only do we get the four turtles mm. and Splinter, you get a mention of Krang. It's like old old Hob or whatever his name. Um, I don't know if that guy was. I didn't well, yeah, he has a page on Comic Con. Oh, okay, but yeah, I was just like, slow down, guys. Like you've got a while. Like introduce these characters at your own pace. Like, so don't feel like you need to cram them all in here. What's interesting is so it starts off page one. There's like a fight going on, so it's like everything's already established. And I'm like, cool. It's like we kind of know the origin. You know, they mutate. They're turtles. They mutate, right. and then they they learn ninja ways. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, we we kind of get up. So I, I like that we we get this fight. I like the art and the colors. It, it's yeah, it's really it's, good it's, art. It's it's like kind of <laughs> cartoony, but not too much, and you know, it's not too realistic. And although there was a, there was a couple points where the turtles, um, I think it was Raphael, looked like he was too long, you know, because they should be sh- yeah. like shorter, rounder. You yeah, know, they got their shells. Um, there was there was a, a line where where Splinter's like like no, none must die. Yeah. So I like the fact that they're ninjas. Like they got weapons and swords, and you know that they could kill. They're not, you know. So I, I like that it, it, it's taking it fully yeah. back to the original Ninja Turtles, where yeah. they just slaughter Shredder at the end. Yeah. So I, I, I like that, you know, it, it, it's possible, but you know, this is partly coming up because there's going to be a Nickelodeon series, I believe. So when when it's I still pretty violent. Yeah. Though. So when I when I heard about that, it's like, oh, Nickelodeon. So I thought it was going to be like, because I never watched the animated series and like the Archie comics. I, I read the, the original black and white ones. Some of them, not not all of them. But it's like then when they're like, you know, Cowabunga Dude and Pizza, right. and I was like, Which no. Yeah, so so I like that, and then but then the interesting thing is we do get a flashback to their origin, and um, someone commented on the review, so I'll just mention it that it, their their origin is eighteen months before the present. So that means they've only been potentially Ninja Turtles for less than two years, and, half, yeah. and then I, I I guess the the origin was tweaked a little bit. Really? What people yeah. said so again. I don't I don't remember. I don't remember the, the, the full details of it origin. It was all fully accidental. And like, well, I mean, I'm speaking from the cartoon. I never read the original comic, but in the like 80s cartoon, it was basically that like this guy Splinter was a human who was banished from his warrior clan because he was set up and framed as an assassin for their master. And so he starts living in the sewers in New York. He uh, this kid trips and these turtles fall down the drain, and he just makes them his pets. And then 
this ooze gets dropped on everyone, and so the turtles mutate because they've recently been in contact with Splinter, but Splinter had been in contact with rats, so he mutates into a giant rat. So <laughs> this comic sounds better than, or is better than that song. Yes. Um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting to see you know where this is going to go, and then yeah, so I like that. Um, Doc and Dark Wolverine number thirteen. So we got Moon Knight on the cover. Love that cover. Yeah. Uh, one thing that it's a minor thing, but it, it kind of ticked me off. Um, he Mark or Moon Knight mentions he's like I'm Mark Spector, blah 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 blah. But they spelt his name with a K. Oh, that's weird. It's M-A-R-C. <laughs> so it's like, I don't know if that's the writer's part or the letters, but it's like if you're going to have a guest star, another character, you should know how to spell their name. And then the other thing, um, I, I, did, I did like this issue. So basically, Dawkins has been taking this this drug, I think it's called Heat, and, and he's like having these blackouts. And you know, so, and then there's this, there's, there's this, so this yeah. And and his, his healing factor is damaged, so he's not as invincible as he used to be in. But one thing that I have, I'll admit, I haven't read the last couple issues. I kind of skimmed through them. Um, they show him with his third claw. Mm-hmm. I thought Wolverine ripped his, those claws out. I thought at the end of the, like the Romulus story. He's that, had those for a while. No, yeah, he's had them. But I, I thought that Wolverine literally ripped them out. Because I think um, Doc had his claws coated with the, the Mir Musa or whatever right. blade. Also, yeah. yeah. And then so I, I think, I thought if... Maybe I didn't read it carefully enough that Wolverine ripped those out so Dokken didn't have the potential to become the next Romulus. Well, even if he did, couldn't he just regrow them? I, mean, I don't know. They're part of his bone. I don't know, but then that's what's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Unless maybe he just ripped them off the, the, the coated claws and then right. they just grew back. But I, yeah, I was so under. I think, I think what that means then is that he can no longer, he no longer has the Muramasa coating, so he can't kill Wolverine. Because because then he went to the Fantastic Four because he's friends with with Johnny before right. he died, and then he like got some weapon or some gadgets. He's like he has like kind of like had like like fake claws. Like like so I don't know. I I wasn't sure. But. Um, Kid Flash Lost number three. I haven't read this yet. This is good. It's really good actually. It's very sad. Um, it's the it's the end of uh, Bart. I guess we'll find we'll find out what happens to him in the fifth. Issue or the final issue of Flashpoint? I'm wondering the the cover. So there's a street corner queen and young. young? What what's young? That's what I want to know. Is it hidden hidden meaning here? I don't know. Who's queen? I don't know. Yeah. Oliver Queen. Are they like buddies? I don't know. I'm not really familiar with Kid Flash. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, so I got to read that. Emerald Warriors 13. This is the last issue. So it's Guy Gardner and Batman. And we it's Bruce Wayne because of the costume. War of Green Lanterns Aftermath number two should have been the last issue because I think it totally sets up leading into the, the new the new the new fifty. Like Guy Gardner, I really couldn't see enjoying this issue. It's too, it's too bad. Um, Action Comics nine hundred four. So this is the last issue again. End of Doomsday. Yeah, I mean, it, it's really weird because I I loved the the Black Ring saga that Paul Cornell also did the Lex Luthor stories. And then when Superman came back, and then the War Reign of the Doomsdays. This whole cheapening of Doomsday is kind of like grates on me, just because I think Doomsday is potentially a neat villain or a neat creature anyway. And this whole like retooling of his origin, because he had a really cool origin. Like he was this pinnacle of perfect evolution, who's constantly adapting, but now he's an angel. <laughs> or I don't know. Like... <laughs> and then there, and there's a big kind of like speech at the end, a big conversation between. Clark and Lois and blah 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 and 
that's too bad. American Vampire, number 18. So we talked about this with Scott. Uh, yeah, something kind of crazy <laughs> happens there. It's like I, I don't know where the next issue is going to go. But I guess he mentioned like a flashback story. So, mm-hmm. yeah, people need to read that. Um, Gotham City Sirens, 26. I haven't read it. I haven't read it either. It's the okay. last, last issue. Um, Swamp Thing, or Search for Swamp Thing. So we got to read this. Scott mentioned that. <laughs> find out what's, what's going on in Swamp Thing. Um, JSA number 54. So again, this final issue, we're not going to see them any anytime soon. Um, someone dies in here. One of the, the, one of the Justice Society people. So kind of a shocker. Really? I you say. Yeah. I mean, you got, Not that uh, well, one, right? you got you know, such iconic characters and one of them is no more. Batman Dark Knight number five. I have not read this. Um, is this, I think this is the last issue. The, Darwin Cook should just do the whole thing. Yeah, he doesn't. So um, last David Finch Batman, I'm, I'm assuming until the relaunch. So I got to read that. I love this Deadpool cover. <laughs> so he's, um, you know, what's this art called? I think it's like Intervention or something like that. So I'm actually, uh, you can read it. I'm going to take it. Or, or, maybe, or maybe, I don't know. And then we got um, Hal Jordan, Flashpoint number three, which I haven't read that. And then there's there's still a bunch on the desk, which I didn't bring. Hmm. So. <laughs> so there's a lot. There's Lois Lane and the Resistance. Which no, that, is that's right. here. That's I thought I saw that. Pretty good. I don't know. Um, someone's got that. It's a little rushed, but overall it was pretty cool. I'm warming up the Grifter more and more. I thought I would. Really? Wait. Why? Um, yeah, hold on. All right. It's comic news. Um, no particular order. So Danger Girl movie. Okay. Finally. They, they've been talking about this forever. Uh, for like, like it's, a it's, couple it's, of years. Like, longer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, so the the latest rumor is Mi, Mila Jovovich. <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not a fan of hers. I'm sorry. People yeah. like her. Um, so she, and and I'm afraid that she, if they cast her as Abby Chase, the, uh, the lead, no. I, cause, okay, because here's the other one: you got Kate Beckinsale. Okay, she, she, she's cool. I like her. And then Sophia Vergara. I don't know who is, who that um, is. I think she's in. Sorry, I think she's in Modern Family. I don't watch that. I don't sure. either. So, um, so I, I, just, I don't know who would play Abby because none of them are are blonde. Mila Kunis. <laughs> so I, Mila I, I, Kunis. What? Why not? Abby's blonde. So? Mila's not. not Mi- Mila could has red hair, but they yeah. have like Gwen Stacy. But, I don't know. Uh, but Mila couldn't even dye her hair blonde, and yeah, it would I mean, not she, she's work. She's such so dark hair. I mean, there's. I mean, are we really to the point where like there's yes, we are. Is the most like discerning thing about each No, other? but I think. <laughs> I don't think no. Well, that, think, that that's the whole thing with um. I think I think Kate Beckinsale could could do it and be she's Abby. Not she's just as not blonde. But see, but but, but she, she, she could, could dye she her could, hair. She could be a Sydney Savage. Yeah. Possibly. Mila Kunis, I agree. She could be Sydney Savage. No, I was thinking Kate Beckinsale could. Oh, I thought maybe. that's who she was going to be. I don't know who's. They don't. They don't tell us who's. There's just I now. Think watch they're, this. They're not even going to be in it. They're going to be like, just like a redhead, naturally, isn't she? I don't know. I think a blonde, so go make another blonde redhead, and vice versa is easier to pass. You can't like if you have a dark complexion. That's like me dyeing my hair blonde. It's, it's like Jessica Alba dyeing her hair blonde, Ugh. and then being spray painted orange. Well, she did that, and it looked okay. I didn't think it looked that okay. I, 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 I imagine me with blonde hair. Uh, try it. Do it over the weekend. No, the, the whole the, the, the response should have been no. Don't try it. <laughs> 
<laughs> or actually try it. It could be really funny. Um, I need a funny what? joke on Monday. No, so that's but so Jessica Alba. I don't. I don't think she was right she for. Jessica right. I don't. Jessica. Jessica. What's her face? Alba. Alba. Terrible. I Worst think... blonde ever. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I don't think. I mean, I I like Jessica Alba, but I don't. You? I don't think she was. Oh, she man. was good. Dark Angel. The, the TV show. I hate. I cannot stand Jessica Alba. Her, She's also see. racist against her own people. That is a whole other issue. Okay. Uh, she hates so, that. She hates Hispanic people. Okay. She's she's terrible. <laughs> no. What? Yeah. Check with her publicist. Get an official quote. <laughs> anyways, um, going back to the the, the I'm hair gonna, color. I'm going to pull that quote just because you said that. Going back to the the hair color. Uh, I want to see a video. Her saying actually not. I don't. I don't really care. I don't want to see a video. Um, so, but but the hair color is so. Amy Adams is going to be Lois Lane. Amy Adams obviously is, is redhead, right. and Lois Lane is not a redhead. But there is those spy images where she was on set and dyed her hair. No, her hair was not dyed. So everyone's like, we're going to have a redheaded Lois. No, her hair is darker. It didn't look that dark from the image I saw, and I I'm assuming. They're filming because it, it looks like right now they're they're filming a well, not now but back when that image came out it's like they're filming a lot of like Smallville stuff so mm-hmm. may, I was under impression maybe Amy Adams just visiting the set but she wasn't actually filming anything mm-hmm. but I think they need to dye her hair because you got Lana Lang who's redhead you can't have redhead Lois it's <laughs> you, you <laughs> and why that's why taken seriously like, we're debating whether or not they should dye their hair well, yeah. I I uh, well, like, uh, embodying the character how about nah there's no character <laughs> sexist this is what happens well, I'm talking it could be Superman too no, well this thing I, could I you really... have a redheaded or a blonde Superman because uh, you can't it's just no it's not that can't happen with your major characters, you can't change anything like that. You want to change the the race of Kingpin? That that's fine. <laughs> but when you you take your main characters, you know, Batman, Spider Man, anyone like that, you yeah, can't, you, you can't, can't change, change their hair color. <laughs> I mean, not, I'm with not, Tony. I don't think. No, no, no. But if he, as Miles Morales, sure, sure, <laughs> but not Peter Parker. It's, but it's, and, and then the, the opposite. You know, we've talked about it before. You can't get um, some white dude to play Black Panther. Exactly. You know, you you can't get a, a white chick to play. Can you, Storm. can you imagine? Can you imagine? Well, I don't know. Halle Berry is kind of whitewashed. Yeah, I don't know. Damn, Sarah's just tearing everyone apart. I mean, I don't know. I'm mostly playing devil's advocate at this point, just because I like to spark discussion. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't she only half black? <laughs> and that was the comment yeah. podcast. I don't know. Uh, we'll so send send your your next. your responses to Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so continue with Superman. There's... That was a joke. It was all a joke. Sure it was. I'm going to edit that part. Out. Don't. Oh. No, keep it in. Um, I'm fine no, with no, it. No, I was going to edit the part where you say it's a joke. Oh, thanks a lot. <laughs> no, I'm not going to You know, I don't want to edit. It's too much work. Um, continue with Superman. There's more image because the f- official image, he's kind of awesome. crouched over. You couldn't see. Is he wearing the shorts or not? Because it's just dark shadows. But the the images of him in the street, um, he's going against Faora. Fa- She's a this Kryptonian. Who, she she was um she's like in a in a the Phantom Zone and no, she was one of Zod's yeah minions. yeah not Ursa but it's basically the same character. So anyways, you see Henry Cavill in the streets, no shorts. It's 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 all blue. 
And it, 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 it doesn't look that good because it's so far away. But obviously, it's, it's, it's far away. Yeah. I think it looks awesome. Um, I, I did like the – there was a – I think last week there was a, a picture of him like on a, someone's porch. And you see him from the back. So you see the cape. No S on the cape. But the cape looks cool. Did you guys see, ever see that thing where Tim Gunn was like reviewing superhero fashions? No. It was awesome. It was actually incredible because he's not like a fan. So he was just coming into it completely plain. And he like augured so many things from – just their costumes. Like, he could tell so much about these characters from their costumes. I, I recommend think... it highly. It's on YouTube. Oh, okay. I think Tim he, he, he was in a comic book. Really cool. Yes, he was in Iron Man. Yeah, Iron Man, Tim Gunn. But yeah, he, he's, it's really cool. He brings some amazing insight to the characters and to their costumes. Lock and key. So, there was supposed to be a pilot for Fox. Didn't get picked up. Sucks. Mm. They, I guess they showed the whole thing at Comic-Con, which we didn't get to see. Um, the trailer came out. There was a, it kept getting pulled everywhere it went up because I'm sure Fox is like, nope, take this down. The trailer looks so good. I mean, it, it's it's such a bummer that the show didn't get picked up. So, I mean, I don't. It doesn't sound like. I mean, it, it seems like it's you know because the thing you 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 know how long ago was a pilot filmed? You know, yeah. some months. And then at this point, all the actors, everyone, they're like, okay, because Nick Stahl's in it. Um, you know, he he's he's. He plays uh, the uncle of the the kids, and um, I forget her name. She was um, Mary in the Tudors, so she was Henry VIII's daughter. She she plays Lindsay Locke, and um, I just found out she was in um, Spider Wick Chronicles. My my daughter loves that movie, and I did not know that the same actress that played the the girl in Spider Wick was the same as Mary in the Tudors, but. Hmm. It's it, the trailer looks really good, and if you catch it anywhere, you know, do a search. Maybe you'll you'll find it when it gets before it gets pulled down. But it's it's too bad that Fox decided not to pick it up. Um, Disney has fired Marvel's marketing department. Yes. What? They fired that's actually, wait, That's actually shocking. Um, Kevin Feige is is still on board, but I guess this this marketing firm. I think they've only been working with them for like a year or two and i guess a lot of people haven't been too happy like they're saying that they don't really know the properties like you know they basically from what i read in in, in the, the article is they didn't want this marketing team behind you know to market the avengers they're like they they can't do it they you know they're not well, i think didn't last week we talked about how marvel keeps marketing to people who are already reading their comics yeah of, so i don't know if that's so, that's part of it so yeah. and you know with disney disney knows what to do so i mean I mean, I'm sure they can they can figure out the marketing. So there's that. Um, Brian Azzarello, um, a, a full interview went out, I think, yesterday, but I, I saw this the other day. Um, talking about Wonder Woman, he says it's not going to be a superhero book. What do you think of that, Sarah? Wonder Woman's not going to be a superhero book. And he says, I can guarantee you that. It's not a superhero book. It's a horror book. I will wait. Let's just wait. We'll, we'll wait let's for, just, for Sarah, Sarah's review. Let's let's Scott just Snyder wait. Tossed around now. I think I think that um, they've nobody knows how to write her. Okay, we'll see. Like I I just don't. Yeah. Well, and so I'm sure so. we'll have you review issue one. When yeah. It comes out. No. Absolutely. I can't wait. Uh, last night, Thursday night, um, it's, it was announced Dead Man. TV, t- TV, TV shows in development at the CW. CW needs a show. Um, Smallville is gone. 
They, there was talk of doing a Raven show, which I, I don't see. That's that. so That's Raven. Not, not that, yeah, that, not that one, but um, I think, and I guess they're talking about next year because you know obviously they got to start. The the creator of Supernatural is is interested in doing this, so I think it could could work. Um, Dead Man's not a household name, but it's also not like that open for teen drama. Uh, I mean, everyone's saying it's like, oh, it's, it's going to be like Quantum Leap. You know, he's just going to jump into people's lives and, you know, fix things for them, which is what Quantum Leap was. That that and, and, you know, if you kind of have a slight supernatural, I mean, because obviously Supernatural was a hit for CW. Um, Vampire Diaries, I haven't seen any of that, but that, I think that's that's still on. That's that's a hit. So maybe this, this kind of dark supernatural-ish stuff is what it takes. Because the problem is, you know, with, with Smallville, they tried steering away from spandex, from costumes, because they didn't think people would take that. So maybe something like this with Dead Man, you know, may, maybe they, it, they can, it can work. And because it's not a household name, that gives them a little more leeway. You know, they're not going to be under such tight scrutiny. I mean, there, there's Dead Man fans, but it's not like there's going to be a big uproar if Things are tweaked a little bit. To, this is the CW. How long before a uh, doe-eyed teenager dressed all in black with black hair looks up longingly and goes, and that's why I am dead man? I don't know. First episode, second episode. I will find out. I don't know. <laughs> the Wolverine. So they, they were um, going to start production in the fall. I think it was November, they're saying. But now they're going to start in spring 2012. Okay. And the so reason, it won't be out until 2014. The reasons is not because of script or direct or anything like that. They're saying it, it's the the weather issues in Japan because you know a large portion of it is supposed to be filmed in Japan, but that's causing delays there. They're saying if things if they can't get all that worked out, they may go to um, Vancouver, which would you know can you turn Vancouver into Japan? Probably why not? <laughs> but they 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 really want to. Do, you know, have it set in Japan, which would be cool if they could. You know, so we'll see. So that that's pushed back. Um, remember a movie called Transformers: Dark of the Moon? <sighs> it's it's coming back to IMAX theaters for some reason. I don't, don't know why. So it's in case like case dollars, yeah, that's case people. It's because more people it. want to see that chick's butt. <laughs> yeah, Isn't that a whole like ten seconds of just yeah, her walking? <laughs> And the camera's on her behind. Folks, save your twelve dollars and just do a Google image search. Or is it just Victoria's Secret catalog or whatever? Yeah, no. Um it's speaking of Victoria's <laughs> Secret, uh some some model, I, I forget her name, she's gonna be in Ripped R E P D, the um Ryan Reynolds. I think he's still attached to that movie. It's like I think it was like oh, a right. darker so the, that was the big news, like, oh former or Victoria's Secret model, blah 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 is gonna be in this. I I don't That's know. All. I'm not up on my Victoria's Secret model, so I don't know who she is. <clears throat> but I guess that's the thing. It's like that's your your gateway to acting now. Um, no offense to any of them. Let's see. Um, so by saying no offense, you've now become more offensive than you ever would have been if you just said that. Yeah, right. I, I said that the other day. I'm like, saying no offense does not make it not offensive. <laughs> I mean, but yeah, I, I don't want to generalize. We're not going to get into. It. I mean, I don't. I don't want to generalize about Victoria's You're Secret right. models. You're I, right. You're right. I don't. I can't speak about all of them. Majority of of women that make it into Hollywood don't have, have, have done modeling before or something like that. Yeah. I mean, how do you get your face out there? Right. And, and you know, Hollywood's save, superficial. No, yeah. no. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I would assume there's got to be some sort of acting talent 
in order for them to get hired. It's not. Just I don't. Meryl okay. Streep uh, used a model for Hustler, so that's that's that. That's not true. That is <laughs> I, was, I was going to say. <laughs> last you week almost in, got me. Last weekend, um, Disney had their D23 Expo thing, and they showed some Avengers. I think they showed some footage. There, there was a breakdown of, of it. Um, like there, What I read, there was a scene where Loki is locked up. He's in custody. And, um, like, that seems like what that trailer was. And, and Nick, Nick Fury is kind of talking to him, and Nick Fury's like, or Loki is just, you know, saying stuff like some some mind games and stuff like that. So it sounded cool. Oh, he he was saying stuff about um, referencing the Cosmic Cube. I, I'm assuming that he's like, you know, you you have all this power at your hand, yet you have no idea how to use it and stuff like that. Um, there's also more images that came out. Uh, there's like a, a look like a crashed ship. Whether it's a scroll ship, we still don't know. Kind of looks a little Asgardian. Could be some sort of. That's how they got out. That's how he came to yeah. Earth. Because so that rainbow bridge is broken. Floating. Punched him and said, Welcome to Earth. Floating trap. Yeah, so. The end. I don't know. Um, Dark Knight Rises is has begun shooting in LA. So I don't know what, what scenes. You know, they filmed Chicago, they filmed abroad somewhere, and now they're going in LA. So it seems interesting. Maybe not. <laughs> I mean, that was the only You're one so hot and cold about this news. I don't know. I mean, no, I, I mentioned this, and you guys. Oh, it's going to be awesome. It's like like crickets. Yeah, like, like, no one cares. Let's get moving on. Um, Marco Dijerjevic, the awesome artist, painter, whatever, quit Marvel. Um, and I, apparent, apparently, at, at, at Fan Expo Canada, he had some some pretty harsh words about Marvel and other people, and he said he's never worked with a writer that he's liked, and he's he's just pretty, drenched the bridge in kerosene. And like, yeah, so it's like I don't care anymore. But but like I said, he he could spout all the stuff he wants. I don't think with his talent. I would guarantee they would offer him another job. There might be some writers like, no, I don't want to work with this guy, but they may not even have a choice. Yeah. If, I mean, if, if, if they're going to get a high-profile person to do an awesome cover, you know, Marvel's not going to say, no, we're not going to hire you back. So I, mean, I don't know. We'll see. Um, this isn't really new news, um, Captain America 2. So th- there's talks, you know, the, the screenwriters have, have talked about, like, possibly doing World War II stuff again. You know, they want to go back. They've also expressed that they want or thinking of like the Falcon and Sharon Carter being in you know modern day. Um, this one site that I, I saw this, they they kind of got their facts wrong. Where they were <laughs> under the impression that the Falcon was Steve's love interest, oh, and that, that the Falcon is really the Sharon Sharon life. Carter. <laughs> yeah. So, but they, but they thought Sharon Carter was a Falcon. It's like no, those are two separate characters. Very, so, very separate so, characters. so next time check Comic Vine before you write your article. <laughs> Um, but I could stand to see more World War II stuff. They kind of glossed over a lot of. Well, yeah, stuff. that 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 was the whole point because apparently Captain America he was Captain America for like two to three years, and you know they they jump like four months, six months, and you know they they because it, it, the way if if you don't pay attention carefully, it seems like he was Captain America for like you know two minutes, you know, but he did the whole USO tour thing, you right. know, selling the the bonds and then his different missions. So I it would be okay. It'd be I don't know how I feel. It's like okay, there's all these lost unseen adventures cool but we were seeing him in present time with the event i don't know it's gonna be interesting the howling commandos back i think that would be yeah cool. they maybe maybe have namor yeah sarah doesn't care anymore <laughs> so we'll, we'll see um let's see and 
Like the last thing is a bit of a spoiler, kind of. So all those X-Men shadow covers that we've seen, you know, we only know one character and we're kind of guessing at who the other ones. Well, apparently the cover to Uncanny X-Men has been revealed. I don't know if it's official if it was meant to be. but And? So that this was the, the teaser with Emma Frost. Mm-hmm. So we know because there's going to be Wolverine and the X-Men and his team, and then we got Emma Frost and the Uncanny one. So the other people with her, Cyclops, no surprise. Cause he's, I uh, was really hoping. No, cause there, 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 actually, there was another Uncanny X-Men number one cover with Cyclops and then a bunch of shadows. Doesn't didn't fit with all the other teasers, but so he's already been seen, and apparently he doesn't get sliced up by Wolverine and Schism. Mm-hmm. He he looked like he was still fine, so he's going to be there. What a bummer. Danger, <laughs> Danger is going to be on a team. The Danger Room, the robotic, yeah, uh, into, yeah, into, into sentient, yeah. So she's going to be there. I don't, uh, Mag- I don't like her. Magneto. What? So Again, Mag- taking orders from stupid four eyes. Ugh. That's four eyes, three eyes. I guess. Cyclops. Yeah, I guess it's uh, one eye. Then we have... I'm going to go with what Corey <laughs> says. And then this is kind of interesting. Magic. Iliana. Okay. I like magic. No, I do too. But, you know, she's always been New Mutants, so it's like, all right, you're graduating. Because, you know, they, they say the New Mutants are X-Men, even though the comics still call New Mutants, but... I, I like it's just like Cannonball was an X Men for a while. You know, he was, I think, he led his, he had a squad. And yeah. So, so I, I like ma- magic. And then we also have Jugger Colossus. Really? If if you read, I think it was last last week's Uncanny X Men. So I'm not really spoiling anything. Um, yeah, yeah. So last issue, uh, they needed to get a new host for the the the, 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 the similar. What's it called? Side, yeah. And so Magic was going to do it, and Klaus is like, no, no. And then Klaus is, or Kitty's like, no, don't do it. And then he, Colossus does it and turns. Shut up, sir. Give me those looks. And then so, so Colossus becomes a juggernaut. And what's that going to mean? So he's, he's got the big – I don't know why he needs a big – why does he need that big helmet? The helmet was – Yeah, okay. The Professor X all of them are going to attack Colossus. What, nobody can no, – people can't mentally attack Colossus? I just, but he never needed it before. Now he's got more power, but he's got to protect his head. So he can smash into walls without getting. Protect their head. Yeah, whatever. All right, that's podcast. Always protect your head before you go smashing. Is that it? That's it. All right. Well, that was really cool that Scott Snyder talked to us today. Yep. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that was fun. And uh, I guess that does it for our podcast. Mm -hmm. Thanks for listening. Yes. Yes. And. That's it. So we should go. We will, and um, I guess we longest can, we, podcast ever. We will have more from Scott. By um, the way, he's yeah, more about Batman it's coming yeah. up. Hopefully next week. Yeah, so, yeah we're gonna so, take a look for that. Looking for yeah. that. It's gonna be the Scott Snyder cast. Yeah, I mean, All it right. practically is anyways. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. Two hours later, guys. I'm hungry. Time for lunch. Yeah, time for dinner. Yeah. Right. All right. Bye, guys. Have a great weekend. Bye.